the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com/podcastingafterdark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson, and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Scanners, starring Stephen Lack, Patrick McGowan, and Michael Ironside. Welcome to another head popping episode that's so cliche though it's so cliche to say head popping episode but i'm gonna do it i'm gonna go welcome to another mind-blowing ah there you go (laughs) oh it's all cliche welcome to another vain bulging oozing gross gooey episode of podcasting after dark that's the best one there okay uh it's me it's zach it's uh one half of the pad team sexy z sweet sexy z and joining (laughs) me as always is my bodaciously beautiful co-host sleazy c or as i like to call him now hori cory based on all the uh podcast appearances that he makes on all the other shows hori cory what's happening dude <laughs> oh buddy i'm over here just trying to not make my eyeballs explode and uh <laughs> i would have you know i was thinking how can you start the the podcast off making those insane mouth motions that michael ironside uh-huh. makes <laughs> it's, it doesn't translate uh to, to an audio only format but uh yeah dude uh i am doing fantastic now that i have this seminal film under my belt because as you all know i have never seen scanners until right now well this quite possibly might be the most respectful uh or respected episode that we do because We are, of course, going to break down tonight the 1981 David Cronenberg classic Scanners, which got the Criterion Blu-ray release. Criterion is no... Um, what do you say? A leaf to shake a shvine? No, no slouch, I guess. No <laughs> slouch? Yeah, it's a, you know, a very respected label. They put out pretty much you know uh, cr- cream-of-the-crop type movies. And Scanners was released a few years ago, maybe last year. I'm trying to remember. I I don't know off the top of my head. Um, But I had been wanting to do this film for some time now. And when Corey did... uh, Shivers. When Corey did Shivers, I was like, 
we got to do scanners because that's this is my favorite David Cronenberg film of all the times. Uh, and it is probably one of the most respected of his early part of his career as well across the board. Yeah. Not just cult fans, not just horror, sci-fi, uh, supernatural, telekinesis type fans, but everybody loved, loved scanners. Um, still do. So I'm ready to, I'm excited to talk about it, break it down, yada, yada, yada. Um, it came, it, it's an interesting film in the sense that um, Brian De Palma's The Fury and Carrie, also Brian De Palma, you know, dealt with telekinesis. Um, and, and, and in many ways, it's like what X-Men would have been if it was a supernatural, deep, dark horror film. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, abso freaking Uh Yeah, you told me that, I think, when we were doing the uh, the One Dark Night review. And by the way, I think Zach uh, likes his oh, telekinesis stuff, you know, because also, like, it's got shades of dr- dreamscape in this movie. Yep. And I was getting shades of, of, you know, One Dark Night and everything. And, you know, you mentioned that then, and I think that's when I brought up the fact I was like, I'd never seen it before. Um, I was like, I don't even know what it's about because I was terrified of this movie from such a young age. Uh, the cover always freaked me out at the VHS store. And and then I somehow, do you remember back in the day, dude, when like people would put out these VHS tapes of just nothing but like, you know, movie violent stuff, you know, and, yes. and a lot of times they would tell you how they did it, but sometimes they were just clips of just from movies and stuff. And I saw the, this, I saw the head exploding scene at a young age and I was like, no, no, no thanks. And it just, it freaked me out for the rest of my life to the point where I didn't know what the movie was even like remotely about. So when you said it was like sort of a dark X-Men thing, I was like, well, that's not at all what I was thinking in this movie was about. And now that I've seen it, I think you're a hundred percent correct. Um, I'll say this. I watched, I obviously watched it twice. I always do. The first time I watched it, my obligatory funsies watch, I didn't quite get into it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's because the head exploding scene, it's its amazing, by the way. It holds up well even when you know it's coming. But I kind of feel like they blew their load early on in the movie. Yeah. Then you know, there's a great climax, of course, that they reshot and everything. We know that. But on my second viewing, I fell in love with this film because I didn't have in my head what I thought it was going to be. I had an idea of what it was going to be, and so I could actually absorb it, actually bite into it, actually, like, think about what's happening and start to, like, peel away the layers. And let me tell you, this thing came out in 1981. If it wasn't for, the, like, the clothes and, the like, the, the attire and stuff like that, if I just read the script, I'd be like, oh, this was written in 2021. This thing is yeah. so ahead of its time. Yeah. There's so much going on under the surface. Mm-hmm. I get why this thing, why Scanners is such a popular film. It's, it's, people say it's a horror movie. I don't know. It's like a thriller, action, a thriller. horror, you know, a lot of things to it, but I don't, I don't consider it straight horror, but what I consider it is, it's fucking genius. This thing is, is amazing. And I say that again, I say that as someone, keep in mind two things. One, I'm 43 years old in the year 2022, watching it for the first time, and I didn't quite connect with it at strongly on my first viewing, but I do think this is one of those movies. The more I watch it and I will be watching it again, I think it's one of those movies where I'm going to just pick up on more and more cool shit and such cool ideas that you don't even 
talk about anymore and haven't even been explored in current days. Like the fact that like, you know, a, a scanner, AKA a psychic person can link with a computer because the circuitry yeah. is the same as like our <laughs> nervous ass. system. I'm like, my mind is yeah. fucking blown. But I think the first time I watched the movie, I was just waiting for another head exploding scene and it there isn't one you know there is nothing as amazing as that and i do love the conclusion i do love the final mental battle but there's nothing as striking as that head explosion and i think that kind of set this weird parameter up for me but once that was kind of past me once i got past that wow i mean it's like a steak that was just perfectly cooked perfectly cut perfectly seasoned everything but it's just a little steak right there and you're like oh how you know like you're like like first blush you're like wait a minute but then you dig into it and you're like oh my god let me savor this i'm gushing bro i am gushing because this movie's fucking rocks well wow i i, I don't know what the more i don't know what more to add other than uh i would say i'd eat sea bass over the steak because i don't eat red meat but that's neither here nor there <laughs> you get the sentiment <laughs> but, though <laughs> yeah don't totally totally dude i um i want to say you know one of the things i love really quickly like about our show is that i'm able to introduce to you movies that came out way back when that you have never seen before versus the two of us both knowing these movies inside and out and us going, oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, like being in on all the jokes together or all the things together. I like that for the first time I can get your reactions, which are excited or, you know, and, and I'm not, <laughs> I think I'm maybe a year older than Corey, but, uh, but you know, it's having a brother that was five years older than me, like, we're fucking watching this tonight. I'm like, okay, that box art scared the shit out of me. I did not want to watch it, but I was kind of forced to watch it. So I think I blocked it out, watched it get, watched it again in like 2003 or 2002 down in LA. Uh, saw it, I feel like I saw it at the Arrow or the New Beverly. Anyways, upon revisiting it several decades later was, you know, I think I was floored at that point because my sophisticated brain was like, this is fucking awesome. You know, right. uh, there's like you, like Corey said, there's so many layers to this film and you're right it's like a it's like a you know it's it's not horror in the traditional sense it's got horror elements it's got thriller elements it's got conspiracy elements it's you know it's got this the government sabotaging us it's kind of fitting in the way if you think about it with ephemeral drug in the movie being like you know uh, for some people thinking that, oh, the government's putting stuff in our body and it's going to change us into these mutants. It's like, well, it's kind of timely, actually, yeah. with a lot of the sentiment, unfortunately, in this country. Uh, so, yeah, and 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 I am, am so, like, impressed that this movie, 40 years later, it just celebrated its 40th anniversary, which is awesome, uh, still holds up today in every shape and form. Even things where I forgot about certain actors or characters, I'm like, oh, that's a flat performance. And then like three quarters of the way in, I'm like, oh, that was all on purpose. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that was intentional. And then that's the thing. Like, like uh, what, what's his name? Lack, I think. Is Stephen the, Lack, yeah. Stephen Lack. I was so... A.K.A. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah you're right. If, if you guys don't know who Ben Mendelsohn is... From a Star Wars, Rogue One, uh, yeah. Rogue One, and and he was a he was a scroll in Captain Marvel, and he's in the Outsiders, the Outsider on HBO. The guy, he's Australian, yeah, 
fucking doppelganger yeah. uh, for <laughs> Stephen Lack. If they ever like redid a series, which by the way, this would make a great television series. Oh my god! Like I said, dude, if you read this script now and it didn't have a date on it or anything, you'd be like, oh, this is contemporary. It just it holds up so incredibly well. Um, but of course, it, it it like you just said, you know, you, you, there's things that you're like, well, this is weird. And the first time I watched it, like Stephen Lack's performance is is was a little bit jarring for me. But the second time I watched again, every, after I warm up to everything in this movie, I'm like, oh no, that that might actually be genius. This this might actually be a genius performance. Now, what's yeah. not genius is the giant tuft of hair sticking out of his ears when he's like only like 29 <laughs> years old. But we've discussed uh, all the male grooming problems well, of the early 80s. <laughs> they, He and Revick said at the end that they're both the oldest of the group. That's true. So his, he's rightfully so to have a giant tuft of, of hair sticking out of his Even ears. Even though I'm like, you're young, you're supposed to be older than Pierce? Nah, yeah, exactly. That doesn't track. But yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, that's neither here nor there for now. We'll get to that okay. later. Yeah, I have that in my notes. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, dive. You want to dive into the, the cast yeah, and crew? Let's yeah. just fucking dive into <laughs> dive it. In. I, I'm not actually going to go too deep into the cast because uh, outside of like maybe five people, uh, a lot of the people, you, if you saw them more than once in a movie, it was probably a Cronenberg film, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, uh, but but even though she's top, I'm I'm not going to go with top bill because she's not the lead actor in the film. I'm going to yeah. go with the, the person that is the lead actor, which is uh, Stephen Lack, who plays Cameron Vale. Stephen Lack, uh, well, he was in Dead Ringers, and you know, not a huge resume, um, but the guy is fucking awesome. I think he was like an avant-garde uh, filmmaker, like like really weird shit early on in Montreal. Because I watched some of the behind the scenes. Uh, was, I watched the interview on 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 the Criterion disc where uh, it was just an interview with Michael Ironside, but he kind of talked about everybody. And he said Stephen Lack was was definitely a di- he came from a different background. He came from like a performance background, and he even like relayed like a one time like when at the very beginning like he went to Michael Ironside. He's like, do you do you know all your lines? And Michael Ironside's like. Yeah, I know all my lines. He's like, I'm an actor. um, and he's like, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. So I think I do think Michael Ironside kind of helped him in some of the scenes together. Okay. Um, but yeah, Stephen Lack is a an interesting uh, actor. He, he's his portrayal is very, very interesting. Well, his his uh, IMDb, and you can't always go by these things. <clears throat> uh, Kelly Maroney, yeah. uh, when it comes to birthdays and such, but. <laughs> If if you guys don't know what that inside joke is, uh, look up her birthday on IMDb and then go over to Wikipedia and look it up. <laughs> see which one. Oh, and then it. ask her how old she is and then she'll get really pissed off. But that's a whole <laughs> other story. Um, but yeah, no, Cameron Vale's birthday is is uh, like the, the year, only the year that he's born is listed, but that's it. It just says 1946, which is weird. Oh but yeah, I see it. I see it right there. Yeah, uh, Stephen. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, he plays Cameron Vale. And Patrick McGowan plays Dr. Paul Ruth, Which, a.k.a. Maxon Sedow in Dreamscape. Um, a.k.a. the fucking prisoner. <laughs> I mean, Patrick McGowan, yeah, if you don't know who he is, um, forget about all the other amazing movies he's been in. Braveheart, Time to Kill, uh, The Prisoner. If you don't know what The Prisoner is for all you younger people listening to our show, go watch The Prisoner. 
uh, pause this recording. Go watch it. No. Um, you should definitely seek yeah. out The Prisoner. It's an amazing yeah. television show from the 1960s. Uh, it lasted like one season, I think, but it's amazing. Yeah, I, I've seen it. I think I may watch it on like Nick at Night or something like that. It is so late 60s trippy uh it is it's some wild shit man <laughs> it is wild um like you were saying every uh scanner is ahead of its time it's the prisoners ahead of its time yeah. at one point they were going to remake it or make it into a movie um i don't know if that happened well whatever anyways uh it's really good you guys should check it out it is um lawrence dane who so much reminded Reminded me of the doctor in Reanimator. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but he plays uh, Keller, and, I mean, he's been in a ton of shit. Bride of Chucky, Dark Man 2, um, Die, Dark Man, Die. Uh, <laughs> no, that's The Return of Durant, right? That's right, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Heavenly Bodies. Oh, he wrote the screenplay for Heavenly Bodies. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, the guy, the guy is really good. He's good at playing a prick. Uh, enough said yeah yeah no i i freaking loved him in this i didn't really know him from anything yet i still kind of recognized him and uh yeah and apparently according to michael ironside uh lawrence dane had broken his back like the like a half a year prior and like every second was excruciating pain uh unless he he said uh because michael was like hey how do you deal with the pain he's like it it goes away when i'm in front of the camera i was like and then just watching his performance you can't even tell he's in pain no, you can't, even when he dies. Well, he, <laughs> even when he gets blown yeah. through the door. It's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, wow, I didn't know that. That's amazing. I'm glad he. I'm glad he recovered. Yeah. And Jennifer O'Neill, she plays Kim Oberist. Jennifer Jennifer O'Neill is she's. First of all, she's beautiful. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know she was born in Brazil, which is interesting. But she was in Summer of '42. Okay. If you guys don't know, that's a amazing coming of age movie. It's really, really good. Uh, it's funny. It's it's heartfelt. It, it, there was a few out, that, a few of those coming of age. Like, there's one with, uh, there's one with Jodie Foster and Mark Harmon as well. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Anyways, she's terrific in it. You should go see Summer of '42. Um, you know, she had that look, that that brunette light light-eyed look back in the day yeah. very typical of a lot of other actors but she's great she's yeah. not in the movie a whole lot um, no <laughs> i think but she was the big draw you know okay. jennifer is like oh jennifer o'neill y- you mean you mean scanners. uh you mean robert a silverman wasn't the uh big draw robert a silverman <clears throat> no <laughs> who i know i'm just gonna throw it out now because i don't know if you were gonna touch on him but i know i him. wasn't so go touch on it <laughs> i know him from jason x <laughs> oh of course which, you do which i don't quite know the connection but also cronenberg was in that as well i think the director of that movie is somehow connected to cronenberg uh guys and gals let me know let, let us know on instagram what what the jason x david cronenberg connection is it's probably filmed in Canada. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Kornberg was like, hey, I'll be in your film. Um, I'm not doing anything. Really quick, going back to Jennifer O'Neill, I just want yeah. to point out she was in The Psychic, which was uh, probably one of her more famous 70s horror films. Yeah. Um, Force of One with Chuck Norris. I love that movie, by the way. Force of One's great. I always like the, the poster for Psychic, or the Psychic. Oh, the poster, yeah, the poster for Psychic is very, like, H.R. Geiger yeah. ins- inspired. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. Yep. Uh, and then one movie I that no one probably even knows about, 
Uh, if you do, let us know because I'm very curious. It's called Steel. It came out in 1979. Uh, it stars Lee Majors, Art Carney, George Kennedy, and uh, Terry Kaiser, Richard Lynch, Roger E. Mosley of Magnum P.I. fame. Like, it's got a f- phenomenal cast. It's about steelworkers. It's badass. Mm. It's impossible to find anywhere. Very cool movie. I highly recommend you check out um, Steel um, if you can find it. Looking at the cover right now, it looks freaking the, the poster looks awesome. Oh, it's dope. It's dope. It's one of those, like, it's not a disaster movie per se, but it's like a tough guy. Okay. You know, badass okay. guys. And Richard yeah. Lynch, uh, obviously of Invasion USA fame, plays a really sympathetic character. Um, Terry Kaiser does too, who's like fucking 85 years old or something like that now uh, from Weekend of Bernie's fame. Yeah. I thought he was dead, by the way, but he's still alive. Dude. Yeah. He's he, when he does die, I'll say he had a good run. <laughs> yep, he, he's already in that category right now. <laughs> he <laughs> but, sure is. But Terry Kaiser, please stay alive for us so we can interview you. <laughs> please do, please do. Yeah, please, and come on our show. Um, last but not least, there's some dude. There's one other dude in this. He just happens to be on the poster, he, the original poster. He's a nobody, he's, right? I mean, at this point in his career, he's a he's a nobody, right? I think, yeah, I think his name's like um, Mitch Mitch uh, Steelwill, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch Steel well. I you know what Tony I, I know you were you were going for the Bizarro name, but then but then you gave him Steel Will and that was actually a pretty cool name, so now I wanna see who Mitch Steel Will is. <laughs> well Steel Will is a Silverhawk character. Oh right, I knew I knew it was recognizable to me. <laughs> I'm like, but, where do we go with this? Improvising, yeah. everybody. It's called improv. But yeah, Michael Friggin' Ironside, guys and gals. Dude. Woo! Doing the best mouth acting I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, yeah. You know, Criterion put out a really beautiful, like, cover art mm-hmm. and, and images with their stuff. They do, like, they go purely original art uh, when with their releases. And not they don't always include the original cover art. I love the original cover art of him, like, spasming yeah. with his eyes white. And, yeah. You know? That shit is terrifying. So, and you know, that's my personal fave. By the way, while you're talking about Criterion, I am so happy that the menu screen doesn't have clips from the movie playing. And I was like, oh, thank you yeah. so much. I what hate a novel that. concept. I know. Don't spoil that shit. So, Michael Ironside, we all know and love him from Total Recall, Top Gun, yada yada, V. Highlander you know, Part 2. But, but my question to you is. What is your favorite Michael Ironside character? Mine, mine personally, is uh, Radchek from Starship Troopers. Freaking love him in that movie. I love his character. I wanted to have a robotic hand like him. Uh, and I was already a fan. I was already a fan of Ironside because of Total Recall. So, like, when I knew he was going to be in in Starship Troopers, I was excited. Um, and that's also, like, my favorite looking Ironside, like, age-wise and everything, mm. you know? Yeah. But yeah, dude, Radchek, dude, badass. Christ, Rico, you know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably one of his most memorable characters, too. Yeah. I mean that is that is pretty iconic. Like of all the hard nosed dudes, that's the one uh, from that movie that stands out. For What's me, your favorite performance? Uh, my favorite performance is a little more understated. Um, honestly, just because I I love the movie overall. But uh, he was in a movie called Extreme Prejudice, directed by Walter Hill, which uh, starred Nick Nolte, Powers Booth, Maria Conchita Alonso. I remember this movie. Clancy Brown, yep. uh, William Forsyth. I mean, fucking, hey, like powerhouse cast. 
he was one of the bad guys, but not really a bad guy, like a, like a gray character. This was a gray, these were a bunch of gray characters when gray wasn't in vogue mm. yet, you know? Uh, Extreme Prejudice is a terrific film. I think Ry Cooter does a soundtrack to it, and you guys all should check it out. It's great. And, of course, we loved him in Turbo Kid, too. That was a fun movie. Oh, we, dude. We watched I mean, that together back in the day. Turbo Kid. He was the best part of Highlander 2, The Quickening. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like he was fucking great in that. Yeah. He was great. Total, re- total recall. Total you know? recall. <laughs> <laughs> See you at the party, Richter. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, he was famous as um, – with the lead character in, oh, crap, that video game scene he played is Sam Fisher, Splinter Cell. He was uh, that Xbox game Splinter Cell, which was kind of oh. like Xbox's um, equivalent to try to, to, basically Xbox trying to take on Metal Gear for Sony PlayStation. And, uh, you know, Super Spy sort of game. And Michael Ironside was the, the main character's voice. And it was pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, he's... Uh, he played Sam I mean, Fisher. He, he's a legend. He's a legendary actor. And his voice and... is amazing. Voice is amazing. Um, his delivery, it's like now watching his performance in this, I'm like, he, oh, he's done this before. But yeah. he's done this before. Based, this is like the first time you get to see him be Michael Ironside. So, And this is pre, um, this was when he was still in uh, Montreal and then pre V, uh, when his, his yes. stint on V. I mean, another good one, too. Another, yeah. yeah, another, I mean, you can go, the guy has like, uh, like 265 screen credits to his name. Yeah. You know, he's no Eric Roberts, but he's pretty damn close. Yeah, and of course we we kind of skipped over the direct, writer director David Cronenberg. We assume oh, yeah, that, guy. <laughs> that hey that guy. We assume two things. We assume a you've already listened to our Shivers review, and so we talked about him there. And then we also assume if you didn't. You probably know who the hell David Cronenberg is at this point, but if you don't, he's a famous, famous director. Uh, one, he's a, a visionary director. Dead Ringers, Dead Zone, The Fly, Existence, uh, Crash, yada yada yada. So many freaking things. And yes, his uh, uh, you know special appearance on Jason X is my favorite. Oh, really? I thought you were going to say Nightbreed. No, I'm just No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. That I was saving the best for last. He is Dr. Decker in Nightbreed, one of my favorite movie slasher villains of all time and his performance is interesting in that movie. My entire life I thought it was a bit flat, but now I can't ever picture anybody not Dr. Decker, you know? Yeah, he's an interesting director because he I don't think if if he wasn't as intelligent or as articulate as he is in interviews, um, they might people just might sub subject like put him in a in a different category of like less than. But he's kind of like uh, the king of art house horror. And yeah. If you think about it, yeah, because this would be considered if this came out. If this came out in the early 2000s, this would be an art house horror film. You know, like when Eastern Promises came out, the the Viggo Mortensen movie yeah. he did, which I really liked. Um, th- you know, that was like ultra violent, right, to the highest degree. And uh, and 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 and, but if that didn't have the cast or like the sophistication that it had, it would have just been called, you know. Like, oh, that's just horrible or it's so, you know, over the top. And, um, you know, his movies all do that. He's done mainstream. Yeah. Like you said, The Fly. Uh, and then 
you know, but but then uh, oh, a history of violence too. That's yeah. A, no, the history one. of violence, th- yeah, was it was a big one. And you know, at at this point with scanners, he already had you know shivers behind him. He already had uh, rabid uh, behind him, and he already had the brood. Uh, the brood was what he did just before this. So he and then he was going to do. He goes on to do Videodrome in the Dead Zone, and then the dead Fly zone, after yeah. this. Like holy cow! Like wow! Through like just all these movies just are insane insane i mean everything he's done is great yeah. um I'm, I'm actually i've never seen it and i want to see it now is that this movie fast company it's a it's a drama racing movie it's got john saxon and william smith in it fuck yeah bro uh, dude i that's I'm, I'm putting that at the top of my list anyways yeah cronenberg is a legend um so we hope we do this movie justice by breaking it down because it is quite possibly probably I would probably say it's our most it's our biggest movie we've ever done. Uh, it's it, it's at least your probably most not main I guess mainstream. I mean, I don't know if you yeah, consider this movie a mainstream, so. but but for for you, I'd say this one's probably the most mainstream one that you've done. Uh, I would say this is probably even more mainstream than The Warriors. Yes, I think it is. I think it's more mainstream than the Warriors. I think it's more respected than the Warriors. Yeah, but for me, the Warriors is the Warriors. Yeah, so there exactly. You go. And, and you, but, I yeah. didn't. I wasn't saying anything negative about the Warriors. No, I know course. you weren't. Yeah, no, I, I love that movie. Weren't. That movie rocks. I know. I know. <laughs> if you haven't listened to our Thomas Waits interview, that's um, great. Go check that out because. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. So, yeah, please do. Uh, without further ado, though, let's get scanned. <laughs> let's fucking pop some heads. <laughs> oh, something's going to pop. I would like to scan all of you in this room, one at a time. I, I must remind you that the uh, scanning experience is usually a painful one sometimes resulting in nosebleeds, earaches, stomach cramps, nausea, sometimes other symptoms of a similar nature. At this point, I'd like to call for volunteers. Fine. Just uh, sit right here, please. I'd, I'd like you to think of something specific. Do I have to close my eyes? It doesn't matter. All right, yes, I have something. All right, the movie, uh, so the Criterion disc doesn't have 
they just opens with like the Criterion logo, Janus Films, very respectful. I'm like, oh, yes. I'm an art house film. I'm an I'm an art. I'm a I'm a film student. This movie was shown in film schools. Yeah. For sure. Of course. Sure. I'm of sure course it, still it was. Ex- yeah. Except in mine, except at Towson University, because I didn't see it. But I saw yeah, Double Indemnity like three times. Uh, you're, uh, I know. You're welcome. <laughs> Jesus. It's like, at least fucking watch, like, um, what's the one with the with the Touch of Evil? Is oh, yeah. Yeah, touch, yeah touch of Evil. Yep. Yeah, do that one. Okay. Anyways, uh, yeah, movie opens with neon green font. Love it. Uh, long opening credits. Great music score. Um, the, the, the pulse, the score is pulsing. We didn't mention the composer, by the way. I wanted actually good point. You're bringing that up. Uh, and, and now's a great time to do it because yeah, dude, right out of the gate, I really, really like this score. And then on top of it, the sound design, all the stuff they do with the kind of sound wise, showing you the, the scanning abilities and everything like that shit was all top fucking notch. But this synth score is awesome not quite tangerine dream awesome but it's it's a good one it's damn good well it's howard shore i mean howard shore is a uh if he's not an academy award winner he's up there lord of the rings yeah twilight saga aviator the hobbit okay so he's a big name that's a big name then that 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 was working on this wow yeah yeah so um you know Back when when he was probably first kind of not starting out, but sort of starting yeah. out. So yeah, Howard Shore is a legend. But so yeah, the, the score in this movie is awesome. Yeah, um, you get a quintessential late seventies, early eighties uh, shopping mall where this disheveled dude comes out of a like um, back door entrance to the food court. It's Cameron Vale, but we don't know that yet. He's smoking. Uh, he's walking through. Was he smoking? Shit. He grabs he he so he start he grabs a cigarette from somebody and they don't even stop him. Yeah, yeah. So he he grabs a cigarette from someone they don't and they don't stop him. Uh, he's eating food off people's trays in the food court. He looks like a like a homeless guy, like a vagrant. He he does, but he has the most striking green eyes you've ever seen. Beautiful green eyes. Beautiful. But he, <laughs> but he very much looks like a guy that you wouldn't want to go near. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's sitting down at this food court table and he's eating food and there's these two ladies across from him and they're looking at him all judgy and being all bitchy and they're like talking very low but he starts staring at them and they think that he's like picking up on them and as he's watching them he's kind of bugging out and the music starts intensifying and one of the ladies starts like touching her head and having a seizure and people come over to help to see what's going on. They're like, she's having a seizure, you know. Which I like. And Someone actually puts their gloves in her mouth to kind of keep her from biting her tongue. And I was like, oh, I like that little attention to detail. It was really cool. Yeah, it's very smart. I wonder if, like, that was planned or what if it wasn't? Like, they yelled cut. And she's like, who the fuck put their glove in my mouth? <laughs> Your nasty ah, glove. Ah. I'm not into that. I'm into other things. I'm not into glove fetishes. <laughs> <laughs> you put your fingers in there it's a different story yeah um yeah, same. yeah so at the same time the dude uh the dish veil is grabbing his head and he like looks away and then there's these two guys so veil's wearing like a like a tan um uh, a tan trench coat but like and a then thicker there's other... heavier trench coat yeah like, like a like like a like a winter coat style trench coat 
winter coat style trench coat, but it's the same color as the two, these other two dudes that are watching him in these trench coats and they start chasing after him um, through the mall. He goes up an escalator. They shoot him with a tranquilizer dart. I don't know why. I paused myself there, but I just did. It was just like, what was that? <laughs> Tranquilizer dart. Sorry, I, like, I just he, had a stroke. I was, like, Is he, I was like, did he have a stroke? <laughs> Corey's scanning me at the moment. You hear that? He's going, are you scanning me, Corey? Or are you jerking off on the camera? I can't tell. He's making the same mo- facial expressions. It's all the same. <laughs> Something's gonna explode. Um, uh, but real quick, you before you keep going, uh, the decor in this mall is oh, dude. so yeah. it's so late seventies, early eighties, fantastic. And by the way, the set design for this entire movie is fantastic, as are the costumes. Same thing I said about the um, about Shivers. What I love is that like seventies aesthetic. This like this is still early in eighties enough that it's not quite eighties looking yet. It still looks seventies, and I love it, dude. It's just oozing with so many like dark colors like red and mustards and stuff you know yeah and you can tell they film this in the winter because everybody's yeah. freezing their asses yeah. off yeah the yoga guy scene where they, they clearly they're like we have to sit on the ground <laughs> they're, where they're in a, an unheated uh attic or something you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyways yeah um sorry yeah, i derailed I, you because she got shot in the hand with the trank so yeah he does get a trank dart in him <clears throat> yeah, so he gets a trank dart in his arm and in his hand, and I'm like, why is he not pulling that out? Why I thought the same thing. Yeah, I was like, why didn't you do that? And yeah, it's and, odd. And then when he jumps over to the other escalator, I was like, why didn't anyone help him like get up? They're just like looking at him. Well, because he's got a trank in his arm, but you know, but <laughs> clearly he's an escaped monkey or something. I mean, you, know, you think about it, like in inner space when uh, when when Martin Short's being chased by Doctor Igo, and uh, and and people are like not really doing shit, just watching him. You know, that's people do that. Yeah, that's real. If this is now, they would have their cell phones out videotaping the whole thing. True. Very true. Very true. Oh, life. life. Anyways. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So, yeah, like Corey said, he gets shot and he he is going up one escalator. He hops on to the other escalator. He's like holding on to it on the side and he's going up. It's really kind of funny, actually, because he looks like he's just going to fall. But granted, the guy is about to pass out from the tranquilizer. Yeah. Um, he's able to get onto the other escalator, and when they do, uh, he gets up to the top, and the two guys chasing him are there, and he passes out. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, it's a great way to start the movie. You're like, what the hell is going on? Uh, yeah, seriously, no. Me watching it, I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> when he wakes up, he's in a room strapped to a bed, uh, and he's approached by a, well, a man who... He's talking like the uh, police captain in Beverly Hills Cop with, is this the man that put the banana on the tailpipe? That's what he reminds me of, the <laughs> yeah. way Dr. Ruth was talking. Dr. Ruth, by the way, not Dr. Ruth Westheimer. The, I, I just love to talk about sex. <laughs> yeah, that Dr. Ruth. This is what I like to talk about. I'm, I'm five foot one, and I love sex. Dude, no, she's like three foot four or something. Dude, that was such a part of our childhood growing up was Dr. <laughs> <The> Ruth, <80s>. man. <laughs> dude, Dr. Ruth, if you don't know who she is, look up her clips. She's cool, man. Like She's yeah, cool. She's, she's cool. I'm, awesome, not, I'm not bashing on her <laughs> no, at all. no. No, Dr. Ruth fucking rocks, man. <laughs> anyway, this Dr. Ruth rocks, too, until you find out a fun fact at the end. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so Vale wakes up in this room. He's strapped to a bed. Uh, this doctor approaches, introduces himself, and he says, you're 35 years old, and why are you such a derelict? 
such a piece of human junk. <laughs> I love that. So supportive. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he and then Ruth continues like, well, the answer is simple. You're a scanner and you don't know it. This has been the source of all your agony. I'm going to show you that it can be the source of your power. And then at that moment, he has these people come in the room that they're in. So picture this looks like like a like a warehouse loft yeah. basically a yeah. big warehouse room it's it, and there's a bunch of chairs veils strapped to a table uh totally looking disoriented and all these people come in and as they come in you hear all these voices talking all this chattering going on but you don't see any mouths moving as you do um and you you know you hear like nonsense kind of talk like oh not much of a place and then another person's like well at least we're getting paid for it and you hear ruth dr ruth say you know hurry up get in here right and uh veil is like super panicky and he you realize that he's hearing the thoughts of all the people that are in there and what's great about it this is where i was like oh the sound design's really good because it's like people are coming in, and we're talking like at the end, it's going to be like 20 people in there. So, But the sound designer, like they added a new layer for every single person that came in. So you really started getting the sense of like you started becoming like Cameron Vale, and it was just it started to be off-putting, but like on purpose. And it's just like I was like, wow, this is this is fantastic sound design. And it it's like that through the entire film too. It really is. It really is. And you get the sense of like you don't know what's going on you're kind of getting it from Vale's perspective this this sense of just bonkerness that's happening and then at that moment that's when Ruth um injects him with something you don't know what it is yet but it is ephemeral by the way uh ephemeral and we're going to be saying that a lot do you know what um ephemera ephemeral is? means i thought ephemera well, is like um Ephemera, isn't it like the, the, the marketing stuff that's to the side, meaning like wrapping papers and stuff or something like that? It's, it's... Well, well, I looked up ephemeral. It's an adjective. Okay. And it, and it says lasting a very short time. That's, oh. what, that's what ephemeral means. Uh, but then, yeah, like uh, I started looking. Oh, I yeah. was trying to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ephemera. Yeah. Things that exist or are used or enjoyed for only a short time. Yes. That's, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, so and, and also back. it's also considered items of collectible collectible memorabilia, typically written or printed ones, uh, are considered ephemera. So, so, so really? for you in your case, that awesome uh, Masters of the Universe wrapping paper that you sent me is like fans who collect that 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 would be considered ephemera. Like they'd collect that ephemera. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. cool. Well, we can figure out if that actually connects with this or not. Well, we I think I think things that exist or used uh, enjoyed for only a short time sounds sounds correct for ephemeral, ephemeral, yeah. or whatever it's called in this. Like, I think that's that's pretty good there. So yeah, I think I think that's a good uh, correlation with the name, you know. And it, knowing David Cronenberg, there there has there had to have been thought put behind the name oh. of the because the, they say it so much in the movie. Totally. Totally, yeah. It, 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 they say it so much to the point that I'm like, at, at one moment, at one point, I thought, 
is ephemeral really a drug? Like, I thought it was really a drug. And the sad thing is, this movie came out back in the day when we didn't have constant drug ads on TV. And yeah, David Cronenberg picked a name that sounds perfectly like it would be a drug that you'd see on TV commercials, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can, you can see it now. Yeah. I've been taking ephemeral for the past six weeks, and I feel great. Ever since I took ephemeral, I've been awesome. What, what's the ad in the Life magazine like when you're pregnant, like smooth sailing for your pregnancy because it's yeah, originally made as right? like a tranquilizer? Yeah, so it's smooth. It's a smooth sailing drug right there. <laughs> Ever since I've been taking ephemeral, my penis doesn't fall off anymore. But what? people's heads explode, so what are you going to do? <laughs> there you go. Anyways, Ruth gives a shot to uh, Vale. He suddenly calms down and Vale says, uh, we can talk now. After you, from there, you cut to uh, the auditor- an auditorium at Consec. Uh, we'll get to Consec, what Consec is later. But there's a man sitting at a table uh, in, in, a front of, in, in front of a bunch of people. And he says, I wrote all this down. He seems very nervous. And he's like, I would like to scan each of you in this room one at a time. I must remind you that the experience is usually a painful one, sometimes resulting in nosebleeds, earaches, nausea, stomach cramps <laughs> i'm like mm-hmm. who's gonna volunteer for this shit <laughs> sometimes other symptoms of a similar nature what's similar to that <laughs> that he probably should mention right <laughs> and he goes i i know you were all prepared for this but i wanted to remind you there's a doctor present dr Gatineau. no one will be allowed to leave the room until the demonstration is over I would like a volunteer to start us off. And they pan the crowd and everybody's like, nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. And you, you hear the guy go, anyone. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and then this dude, Michael Ironside, a.k.a. Revik, raises his hand. The man brings him up. Revik sits next to the man. And the man says to Revik, he goes, now I want you to think of something specific, something that you will not breach the security of our organization, something personal. Revik says, I have something. And he goes, do you want me to shut my eyes? And, and, the, and the man's like, it doesn't matter. And suddenly Revik sh- shuts his eyes and you immediately starts doing something. Like there's like the weird music pitch hits mm-hmm. and his, and he's starting to kind of make these weird facial expressions yep. and the other man's struggling. And now Revik, this Revik is smiling. Uh, and the man is like having major panic and starting to say no. And then suddenly out of nowhere, the man's head just explodes like Gallagher shattered a watermelon <laughs> on stage in the eighties. You are not wrong, buddy. That is exactly what it looks like. And like I said at the beginning, even though I knew it was coming, this scene is so expertly crafted that you you just seen the head exploding, you know, and in like by itself, like I did, does not like even though I saw that, it doesn't take away from how amazing this scene is because this scene the head exploding isn't the scene. Like it's it, the scene is all of it. It's it's the the tension that is built as Revic is you know you can tell he's doing what he's doing. The music is is building tension. The sound design is building tension, and it just leads to this this shot that looks amazing to today. Just absolutely fucking amazing. And this whole scene is amazing. It's awesome. 
It's really interesting because this scene was considered by so many so controversial for so long because it's so graphic. And you think about it now, and it's like, it's not that big of a deal. I'd rather see a, head, a dude's head explode than someone getting their flesh bitten out and pulled apart like I'm Walking Dead, honestly. Um, like, pick your poison, I, I, I suppose. But, but it is a beautifully shot scene. Yeah. And damn, dude, yeah, it, you're right. It does hold up. It like, holds. It, it holds up in spades. In, in um, fucking spades, man. Seriously. Yeah. Uh, from there, so immediately security rushes in. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's, free- everyone's freaking out. Everyone's like, oh, get out. There's so much panic in the room. It's hilarious. Just witness a man's head explode. Like, we, and, can't, we can't stress it enough. His head explodes, like you said, like a Gallagher watermelon. How would you react to that? You and I would look at each other. We would scream. We would look down at the thing. We'd keep screaming as we ran, you know? I shit myself. <laughs> we would shit ourselves. Seriously. I'd be like, I just shit myself. I just and the shit other, myself. And you'd be like, we gotta go. And the other, and I would say, but I just shit myself. And you'd say, me too. Me too. But we but gotta, we gotta go. go. And we run out with big stains on our asses. <laughs> like everybody in that fucking room. Yes, they all freak out. One dude grabs Revic, and he's like, you know, come with me. Kind of wrestles him out like a comsec uh, security guy. I like all the the expendable comsec security guys. They're not quite red shirts from Star Trek. Like they actually get Cronenberg actually gives them like little personalities and stuff. Even like the security guys that are driving later and stuff like that, you know, that he kills and stuff like they all got little personalities and names and things. I was like, I like that. I like it when even the goons have little moments, you know? Yeah, his goons have personality and shotguns. Yeah, all of them have shotguns. He loves his shotguns. He does. Um, yeah. So, so Revic's like, I didn't do anything. I was just doing what he told me to. <laughs> and the guy's like, one more word out of you. And uh, he's like, come with me. Right. And so they get him out and they, and they, uh, they yell to Revic or they yell to uh, this doctor to, to come with them as well. They exit the building. Everyone, like I said, everyone's freaking out. Um, they bring Revic into like a stairway and they hold him down on the ground. Uh, the doctor goes to give him a shot of ephemeral. And when he does, uh, what you notice is apparently, I'm assuming that the security was not watching where he was about to inject him. He was about to inject, Dr. Gatineau was about to inject Revic in the hand. But Revic starts scanning the doctor. And the doctor moves the shot over to himself. And shoots himself. Yeah, I would like to have seen where the doctor puts the needle in his own hand, have it be a bit closer to Revic's hand. I, I think it was maybe in real life that was the case, but the film was like, you know, Cronenberg was like, we really have to show it as a different hand. But I was with you. I was like, oh, is no one watching that? Like, did no one actually yeah. see that? And I think in 2022, that would have been addressed and maybe changed. But there's something about these older movies. And I'm going to bring up another, like, it's like Trancers, where there's just like, you don't get lost in the minutia of little things. Like later when when Cameron Vale like, in, like um, goes into the, Revic's factory, you know, sort of like at the end of the second act, you know, like in the middle of the movie, um, they don't spend any time to like just show you how he he just does it. And, you know, it's like 
back in the day, man, I think they just kind of slid past things. You know what I mean? And they also didn't, I mean, no way in, when David Cronenberg was filming this, did he ever think people were going to like own it on DVD and rewatch it. Like you were just going to see in the movie, the theater and be done with it. You know? Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. I also possibly think that there's like it's budgetary reasons. Like they couldn't yeah. go back and reshoot. They didn't have the time to do it. Uh, maybe they'll look back and he, who knows? They might have said, nah, that's fine. It's that's, good enough. That's, that's good enough. You know what I mean? It's good enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it is good. Let's be honest. Like, it is good enough. Yeah. It and is. I, and I think, I think you know, to, to the bigger conversation of all of that, I think, like, people like you and me, you know, we're making the movies now. We we noticed these things in the, in the movies back in the day. So we're like, we're going to make these movies that don't have any mistakes in them. And I think a lot of people, you get lost in the minutia sometimes. Sometimes, I don't give a fuck. Just move past it. You know what I mean? I mean, I was just watching a movie the other day, and they they built the the entire village like in this. They built an entire village, and like things they, that you're never gonna see were uh, Shang Chi. Yeah. Like the the, the 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 tiles inside some of the rooms was like authentic to a certain century of China, and I'm like, that's cool, but does it? I mean, from an actor's perspective. It adds to like uh, Ben Kingsley was like this. This helps me as an actor, right? Right. But from a film watcher's perspective, we don't ever see that, and we don't give a shit. It's just really interesting how much money gets spent nowadays versus like like we're doing all we can, you know. And and there's so. a reason why like. Uh, Shang Chi has literally 15 minutes of credits, and you know Vice Squad. It, it was long enough to have uh, Neon Slime play, and that was it. You know, like it was a minute and a half or something. You know, Maybe that's all. I mean, and sometimes you know what? That's all you need, man. It's sometimes need, I man. like I like movies just to be a bit more streamlined. So what I'm saying is, I'm defending stuff like this with the needle and stuff, and I'm defending stuff like Trancers, where like they explain, you know, they don't even barely explain time travel, and I talked about it in the transfers thing I, you know yeah. i want things just to be a bit more streamlined maybe we don't need to have a three-hour marvel movie if they just streamline shit and got right to the damn point sometimes yeah and that's no no, I, no dig on marvel I, movies because i'm a big marvel movie fan but you know same and i i love those three-hour movies because i'm like no more 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 yeah, more yeah. but but and i would like see again in a series for scanners totally could do that yep. um yeah so so revic does pretend like he got shot with the ephemeral and passes out Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook. And now, back to the show. Cut to a couple sedans driving at night uh, in the rain. And um, they're they're hurrying down the road, and one of the drivers is like, you know, uh, the the guy, the main guy who was on Revic originally, who kind of held him down. He seems like he's kind of in charge, and he's telling the driver, he's like, look, you know, take it easy, don't drive too fast. We don't need a cop to stop us. 
the other cop says, you know, serves them or the other security guard says, you know, serves them right. Why the hell do they have to send us to the old factory and cuts back to the original security guy. He's like, if this guy's a scanner, they don't want him at central. They're afraid of him. And then oh, well, the shit. One... I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, I didn't. Uh, so I'm just thinking, and this is literally I'm just putting this together now. At the end of the movie, uh, Michael Ironside wants uh, Revic says, "I wanted to be with you, Vale." If he actually let them just take him to the old factory, he, we would have literally jumped right to the conclusion in the first fifteen minutes of the film. Spoiler alert: uh, Ruth is the father of Vale and Revic. Yeah, and so Vale's at the factory. I didn't realize that until now, too. Um, we would have just gotten right to the end. Essentially, it would have been a choose-your-own-adventure story where, you know, you pick the one that takes you just, like, right to the ending, essentially. Turn to page 36 if you want to visit the Kachina. Turn to page 42 if you want to visit your brother. And you're 42, dead. 42, you're dead. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, that's... Okay, yeah, so... Yeah. Wow, that's wild, dude. Wild. Anyways, uh, the, the, the one security guy is like, you know, he's a scanner? And he's like, yeah. And then suddenly you see the other car that so there's two cars, like I said, on the road. The other car dr- drives off uh, kind of uh, in front of them. And there's like discussion in the car like, hey, wh- where's the other car going? Suddenly the other car is pulls right next to them. And Revic, who's now like kind of Revic's like passed out, pretending to be passed out. Uh, he's he's on the floorboard sitting on in the back on the ground. He's not on the seat of the car. He's sitting down on the ground and the cops are like I keep calling them cops. The the security guys are like talking to each other and saying, you know, you got to We got to follow each other. You're, you're going in front of us, you know. Um, yeah, the one the one that's in the, the one that was in the back car. Now they're in the lead and the passenger of that car is like, dude, what are you doing? Slow down. And he's not replying. And he's like, he's and he pulls his gun out. And he's like, he's like, and I like how he's like, he calls him by his name, whatever it was. Again, those are little moments that I like. But he was like, Bob, Ray. I'm going to I'm going to shoot you if you don't slow down. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, his, he calls him Ray. He's like, Ray, I'm going to kill you yeah. if you don't do it, if you don't slow down. Right. Yeah. He's like, slow down. I'm going to blow you away right now. And without hesitation, uh, suddenly Ray, the driver, hooks the steering wheel of the car and just drives right into the wall of this building and the car explodes. Yeah, I guess those 19, late 70s, early 80s sedans just explode on impact. But yeah, those guys are out of commission at this point. Yeah, they're all dead. They're all real dead. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, And, you know, first of all, like we've got two major special effects set pieces that have just happened now, yeah. right? And 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 for a movie that is quote unquote an independent film, it's over the top. Like already, you're like, what the hell am I getting myself into? No, good <laughs> good point. I mean, it's no small thing to have a stunt car drive into a wall and explode. Like that just happened, and it looks amazing. That it, it, they do a great job in this movie with it. But yeah, that's that's no small effect. It's no small fact. And so the other car pulls over, um, you know, the, 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 the two security guys in the car with Revic are arguing with each other. One saying, you know, don't stop, keep going. The other one's like, no, we got to get them out of there. We got to save them. You kind of see Revic 
like you see Revic's face and you see this scar on his head that seems more visible. I noticed it at that point. Yeah. More visible now than I did earlier in the movie. And I'm like, oh, what's up with the scar, right? Well, you're going to find out what that is soon. And so the guard tells Revic to get out of the car and the music starts intensifying. And as that happens, Revic is like smiling at them. The driver of the car is like going to check out what's happening with the fire, with the car exploding. And then the guard that's on Revic is like, we got to get out of here. Come on, we're leaving. And then suddenly Revic smiles. The security guard that's on Revic walks over to the other guard and blasts him and kills him. Revic smirks and the guy puts the gun to his head and pulls the trigger. And now he's dead. And Revic just smiles and it fades out. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool, man. Like the one, uh, one of the security guards getting shot in the gut had a nice little squib when he sort of jumped back. It was, it was, it was good. It was only problem was a little bit of the uh, that bright red, you know, uh, shivers blood. That, man, I mean, I, I Dave uh, Tom Savini really did a great job. I think whoever made the current blood look uh, is is great because back in the seventies it was so red, you know, and so, so fake red, red, so like tomato ketchup looking yeah, ex- yeah soupy yeah exactly yeah. and now one thing i noted here uh, on a second viewing is that revic you know makes him makes that guy shoot himself in the head but revic doesn't flinch or anything when he when he he's connected to this guy and, he, and when that person dies and then juxtaposed juxtaposed later when when people die and the girl's like oh my god i know what death feels like now because i was in somebody's mind when they died i was like yeah. oh cool like on reviewing it i was like oh Revic's not even phased by it, so he must already have these experiences under his belt. You know what I mean? Like, he already knows what it's like to make someone kill themselves while he's still connected to them. To me, it's not the same, but to me, it's like the Jedi versus the, you know, the... uh, The word you're looking for is Sith? Yes. (laughs) You know, because they've learned the ways of of how to master their skills. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, And... yeah, so there you go. Um, this is Jedi versus Sith, by the way. I mean, it really is. I, I I think when I first when I when I saw this back in the day, I didn't get it. But when I saw it in like two thousand, I was like, this could be like Star Wars telekinesis style. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, or it's it's Magneto and Professor X. I mean, totally. Yeah, and you. I mean. David Cronenberg had to have read X-Men back in the day. And he probably did because back in the day, comic books, especially like in the 60s and the 70s, were considered counterculture and art. So, you yeah. know, unlike they be, sort of became not a joke, but but back in those days, they were actually considered like artistic and, and counterculture. And knowing that David Cronenberg, I think, has his finger on the pulse of counterculture, I guarantee you he was reading X-Men at some point. Oh, yeah, no doubt. That was probably the most kind of edgy yeah. of all the comics of back then the marvel right? stuff yeah yeah so from there you cut to the next day at consec and there is a meeting going on with a bunch of people in a room dr trevelyan or mr trevelyan is is speaking to everybody uh he's joined by keller and ruth and trevelyan says you know last night at consec we chose to reveal the out to the outside world our work with those telepathic curiosities known as scanners the result Six corpses and a substantial loss of credibility for our organization. Um, And so now and then he says, this morning we have a new chief of internal security, Mr. Braden Keller. And Keller, you'll soon find out, is working with Revic hand in hand. 
And Keller introduces himself and he goes, we are in the business of international security. We deal in weaponry and private armies. Oh, that sounds like today's government. <laughs> Guys and gals, this thing is we do not so trade, contemporary. Totally, totally contemporary. We do not trade in fantasy and pipe dreams. Let us lead the development of dolphins and freaks as weapons of espionage to others. So fun fact, if you don't know, the Navy did use dolphins at one point. I, I felt like uh, Captain America and the Avengers when he mentioned the dolphins and the freaks. I was like, I understood that reference. I know yeah. they, what they're referencing right there. <laughs> there you go. And Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's your other your next Marvel moment. So he's and then he looks at Dr. Ruth and he says, with all due respect to Dr. Ruth, I recommend that we drop our scanner program immediately. And so it's almost like they're having like a, a debate uh, you know, CEO kind of board meeting, sort of speak. And Trevelyan looks at Ruth and he's like, you know, what do you have to say? And Ruth says, Mr. Keller, who composed our audience last night? And Keller's like, well, we had 25 financial and political VIPs from all over North America. I just imagine all these white people, rich white people yeah. sitting in a room. They're like, ooh, this is going to be fun. Ooh, ooh with my champagne. Ooh, I had champagne ooh. earlier. I'm a little buzzed ooh. right now. Mm, I can't <laughs> wait. Mm. <laughs> Fucking rich white people. And and then so Ruth says, were these VIPs carefully screened? And Kelly's like, yes, they were. <laughs> he goes, and yet an assassin managed to infiltrate this group. <laughs> and happened to put, put a banana in the tailpipe and uh and keller's like yes and he goes and he killed six of our people yes keller says well how did he kill them well keller says we have reason to believe he used his scanning techniques and then ruth says you mean to say that this very skillful very deadly assassin who embarrassed us in front of the very community we wish to impress was himself a scanner this is important. This is oh, all yeah. important shit, guys. Oh, yeah. No, this is this is the meat and potatoes right here. And Keller's like, well, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't say it that kind of stupidly. Uh, but Ruth's like, well, then, gentlemen, that is my response. The weapons capability of these telepathic curiosities is obvious. And Keller says, doctor, your program is based on a list of 236 known scanners, is it not? And Ruth says, it is. And Kelly says, well, of that number, how many are now working with us? And Ruth says, well, as of last night, none. <laughs> and Kelly says, well, then we don't even have a program to drop. It shouldn't be very painful for anyone. <laughs> and Ruth says, well, Consec Surveillance has gradually lost contact with all of the names on our list. We have lost them to other programs, to another program, which is far more, far more advanced than ours. Yep. I'm not really agreeing on but the Ruth says, my study of the situation has led me to conclude that a scanner underground has developed in North America. It is organized. It is highly motivated and it has a leader. And Keller's like, that's ridiculous. You can't even get two of them to sit in a room together without going berserk. And Trevelyan's like, Dr. Ruth, you're making a provocative allegation. <laughs> And, he, and Ruth says, well, I believe the person who's in charge is Daryl Revick. He was on our list, which is interesting because, fun fact, as we know, yeah. Ruth is the father of Revick. Yeah. Revick is, quote unquote, the villain yeah. who's working with Keller, Yep. which we don't know yet, but we will soon find out. Yeah. 
uh, there's a lot of dynamics going on here that are playing out. So Ruth, in a way, wants Revic. Like, they're at odds with, with each other. Yeah, and, and you don't, you know, the first time I watched it, I was like, how do they have this list? And you're like, oh, later on, you sort of, you know, they don't directly, like, say why, but you're like, okay, I figured, you figure it out because they pretty much created them all and, and they have tabs on them. But, you know, the first time you're watching, I was like, uh, is that something that's just, like, a writing thing? Like, are we not going to go into that? And I'm like, okay, there's very little like holes in this movie like like it, it's all pretty tight um but i do think it takes multiple viewings to see the tightness that is the script so basically ruth says look there's this underground situation going on i've contacted a scanner that is unknown to the underground that we can convert we can use them basically to infiltrate the underground and keller is like you're talking nonsense like there's they're unstable unreliable and ruth's like no i can train him i can teach him you know and keller's like well we don't have any scanners like that and then ruth says well i do have one cut from there back to the warehouse where vale is with ruth and Vale is now like wearing all white. He's cleaned up. He's shaven. He's he's uh, he's got his hair cut. Yeah. He's not looking like the disheveled guy earlier in the movie. Right. Very much looking normal now, quote unquote. And then you know Ruth is like trying to befriend him. He's like, I don't suppose you speak much. And Vale's like, No. And so I have to point out he's flat as fuck every time he talks. Like everything he says, everything that comes out of his mouth, it's very monotone. But there's a reason for that. Correct. I completely agree with that. Like, like the first time I watched it, his his wooden performance was a bit jarring. But second time, I think I do think it is on purpose. And I think this bit of dialogue, which I freaking love, is basically the explanation as to like why he acts the way he acts and he talks about like like dr ruth talks talks about well i imagine you know you couldn't develop your own personality with all those voices happening and you hearing all those voices and i was like that's really interesting when you think about it if you were that like open like he's like an open wound like as far as like his psychic abilities go everything gets in there how are you supposed to develop your own personality you know like with all of that happening and then couple that with the information later in the movie where they're like you find out that he was like kind of like on ice for a bit and kind of like you know i know that that wasn't that was more of a metaphor but like it's just yeah that he's been disconnected from everybody and whether St- Stephen Lack talks like that in real life, I don't know. But for this character, I think it works, and I I do think I do think it works very well. And it also helps at the very end when he could kind of my Michael he could like sort of like do the whole Michael Ironside thing and talk, you know. But like before that, but the whole entire movie, I think this is the explanation as to why his acting is so flat. And I'm with you. I think it's on purpose. Totally on purpose, and you kind of already said it, but I'll, I'll just I'll go into a little more detail. Um, you know, Ruth is like, yeah, he's like, I'm not surprised you don't talk much with all the voices in your head. And he's like, how do you feel now? And Vale's like, I feel great. Or no, he says, I feel crystal clear. And Ruth's like, well, do you like it? And he goes, I'm not sure. And he goes, why? He's like, because I can hear myself. I have a lot of sympathy for, like, schizophrenics. Yeah. You know? And it's also because he also he says he feels exposed, like because he can hear himself, like he feels exposed. I was like, man, this is it's so heady, you know. Yeah. You can tell that, like, you can tell Cronenberg spent a lot of time thinking about like the mental 
ramifications for having these powers on the scanner, not you know, not necessarily also the scanee, you know, but the scanner, like what would it be like? You can just tell fucking Cronenberg was smoke probably smoking a joint with his friends, just being like, Man, what's it like to be Professor X or something, like growing up and not having the ability to turn off all these voices? Like you can right. tell, like he's he you can tell he's interested in this shit, you know? Totally, totally. Um, and that's when that's when I wrote, This guy looks like Ben Mendelssohn. Um <laughs> and then and Vale's like, you know, you called me a scanner earlier what is what is that and ruth says freak of nature born with a certain form of esp a derangement of the synapses which we call telepathy a disease possibly or the result of radiation we don't know why he's lying yeah it's me i did it (laughs) i'm dr ruth and i did it um but i'm dr ruth and i put it in your body (laughs) good one good one buddy uh and let's like you know real quick how cool is it that like cronenberg leaned into this whole the name scanners instead of calling them psychics i like that i like it when you build a world where you already have a term we all know what psychic means but cronenberg says, nah let's go with scanners and i'm like you know what fucking rocks bro hell yeah dude that that would be a great punk band name right yeah <laughs> y'all ready for the skit you motherfuckers ready for the scanners <laughs> <laughs> are you ready to get scanned <laughs> <laughs> okay anyways uh yeah ruth i i realized at this point too he he hadn't like formally introduced himself to veil vale, but he's like my name is dr paul ruth I'm a psychopharmacist by trade. I specialize in the phenomenon of scanners. <laughs> he goes back to asking Vale about the woman in the in the mall. He's like, what were you doing to her? And Vale's like, I wasn't doing anything to her. It was her. She was forcing me to. From there, you cut to, like, basically the perspective of someone watching on a video monitor. And Keller is watching the conversation between Ruth and Vale. And... They're continuing their conversation about this woman. And then Ruth's like, well, wait, she's forcing you to to do what? And then Vale says to think about her, which is interesting. That's, yeah, that's cool. She wanted her to, him to think about her, which is what a lot of dudes say. You wanted me to think about you. You wanted, you wearing that outfit. You wanted me to see you. <laughs> yeah, touche. No, you're you're not wrong, dude. You're not wrong. Uh, and But in this case, I guess it's like, it's basically like having like a high powered like water hose, you know, like like something that like the firemen would use. So like w- which is what he is, right? So Vale is like this high powered water hose and essentially that other lady forced him by thinking about him kind of made this connection and she couldn't stop it. Like and he couldn't stop it either. Like it was just shooting out the psychic energy. Yeah. Because this is like one of the things I couldn't quite figure out uh you know, on my first time viewing as to why he quote unquote attacked that lady you know i got that he couldn't control it but i didn't quite understand what was happening and i think it's yeah i think it's like once you start the the spigot like once the water's shooting out the the psychic power it's i think it's really hard to stop it now it might not be that hard once you're sort of taught how to stop it but at that point in time for uh, for for cameron vale he didn't know how he just was she was just getting it all essentially yeah because you guys you guys listening need to recognize too that Vale up to this point was wandering the streets. Yeah. And 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 you know, uh alone, homeless, probably treated like any other person 
uh, you know, that you see out there where you just ignore him and let him do his own thing or whatever. And so now he's able to, he's learning about what's going on. Right. Because Ruth, Ruth is like, well, you know, the 50 people in this room, they seem to really bother you. And he's like, well, they talk too loud. They talked and they talked. And he's like, really? Ruth says, really? I didn't see their lips move. And Vale goes, no, it was the other voices, the ones without lips. Their voices were drowning me. I couldn't stop them. Again, all the dialogue is really cool. Like they don't, Cronenberg's like, we're not going to say psychic, you know, and I like that. He's like the, 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 the words without lips or something, you know, I was like, cool, man. I like how he skirts around it. Yeah, totally. It's really interesting. And, and, and Ruth's like, well, what happened when I gave you the drug? And Vale's like, they stopped. And that's when Ruth says, this is called ephemeral. It's a scan suppressant. It does nothing to ordinary human beings. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. When given to a scanner, it prevents the flow of telepathy. It stops the voices. And Vale's like, how do you know these things? And Ruth goes, it's my profession. Cuts back to Keller watching on the monitor, turns the monitor off and kind of rolls his eyes and calls for his car to be ready. Mm. Where? You'll find out soon. In the cleanest subway platform I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm like, I could live there. Yeah, Canada. Uh, <laughs> Good old Canada. <laughs> Canada. From there, you cut to a uh, film projection kind of screen. And there's a title on the screen. It says January 4th, 1967, subject Daryl Revick, age 22. I didn't even at first recognize that that was Michael Ironside. I don't know if they gave him a wig or what, but they made him look younger to the point where I was like, oh, my God. But then once he starts doing his Michael Ironside thing, wow, this scene is just wowie, wow, wowerson. I think with uh, the longer hair, he looked a little bit younger. Yeah. I think that's what it is. And um, Well, actually, knowing, too, uh, the, the interview with Michael Ironside, yeah. he was originally, what he said was he was originally only, he only auditioned for that. It was supposed, that role was just supposed to be the flashback video. That that was it. And then he kept getting called back. And then, we, you know, we find out that Cronenberg was, like, kind of rewriting the script, like, on set and doing things and everything. And I think, I don't know what Cronenberg's motivation to change it, but I think Revick became the villain after Ironside did this clip. And I can totally see why, because he is oozing off screen. I would, if I were him, I, younger him, you know, this would have been my audition right here for everything. Like, th- just give people this clip. This would have been my reel because he is outstanding in this little clip. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, he, he's, he's, so the, the shot is of Revic sitting at a table. Uh, there's a doctor talking to him, but she's kind of off screen. And and the camera's focused on him. He's creepy looking, super menacing looking, and he's got a bandage on his forehead. With a uh, little with eye a, drawn on with it. A, with an eye drawn on it, yeah. And the doctor, Lillian, I think her, her name is, uh, she goes, you know, tell us what you did, Daryl. And Daryl's like, I drilled a hole in my head. Kind of like uh, Egon was going to until Peter stopped him back in college. Right? Yeah, there you go. Oh, maybe they saw uh, <laughs> yeah. scanners. I, I actually thought that... Ivan Reitman probably saw Skate. Well, Ivan Reitman produced uh, Shivers, so he probably knew this script to begin with. I wonder if that was an, uh, a reference to Scanners. I'm oh, curious like, now. Nice little homage, yeah. right? Yeah, and uh, and Revick's like, the, the doctor's like, where? Where did you do it? And he goes, isn't it obvious? And he points to the, the third eye on his head. 
And she's like, why did you do it, Daryl? Why did you draw, drill the hole in your head? And he's like, there's too much pressure in there, in my head. And she's like, you wanted to let the pressure out? You wanted to let something out of your head? And he just starts smiling, and he kind of chuckles to himself, and he goes, Lillian, so smart. Oh, can't get anything past old Lillian. And she's like, you wanted to set some, let something out of your head? And he's like, yeah. What? He goes, the people. Too many people in my head. Not enough, not enough room for Daryl. You mean voices? And he goes, no, whole people. Hands, feet, everything. And she's like, what's that you put over the hole? And he says, a door. I put an eye on it so that the people would think the door was just another eyelid. Then they won't try to get back in. You'll think that'll fool them? And he says, sure. Wait, what do you mean? She goes, I mean, is that the only way they can get back in? And he, he screams at her. He goes, no! Then he goes, you want to see how they get in? I'll show you. I'll show you how they get in. And then he picks up a glass of water and pours the water out. And he turns his back to the camera. And suddenly, you know, everyone's freaking out. And Lillian, like, dives out of the way because she's like, knows what's coming. <laughs> yeah. He shatters the glass, right? And he lays down on the table. And he pulls the bandage off his head to reveal this giant hole that he had drilled into his head. Man. That's ah, so cool. It's so so creepy. Uh, and then, you know, dudes come in to drag him off away screaming. And then Ruth turns off the projector, cuts to Vale and Ruth talking. And Vale's like, that's me, isn't it? And Ruth's like, well, it was you. But without a fe- with ephemeral and with guidance, you won't be that way. And Vale's like, is he still like that? And he goes, well, he's worse. Oh, and Vale says, hey, oh, I love this. He goes... He was self-destructive back in his 20s. Now he's just destructive. I was like, yeah. that was cool fucking dialogue. I didn't even write it down. I fucking just remembered it. Yeah, he says He says he, at the age of 35, he's simply destructive. In many ways, Cameron, he's your enemy and mine. And Vale's like, but I don't even know him. Well, he knows you. Somehow, Revic has acquired the master list of all scanners ever known to be born. He sought them out one by one, and ask them to join him in an insane crusade against the society that created him. I love that because it's like it's creating this army, this world. Such a great world build. There's so much mythos to this movie, dude. Yeah, totally. It's so layered. And Ruth says, you know, he's looking for you, but I found you first, and that's why you can help me. And feels like, I don't understand. And Ruth says, all scanners who have refused to join Revic have been murdered. These murders represent the loss to mankind of the most spectacular human beings who have ever walked this planet. You, Cameron, and your brothers and sisters can bring a glory and brilliance to our society that has never been seen before. But we must stop Revic now. And that's it's cool because I think he's right, man. Like, because, again, I mean, dude, this is a superhero story. This is, like, as much of a superhero story as, like, as Unbreakable is or something, right? Like, this is, like, a superhero-adjacent story. But he's correct. Like, if if these scanners were allowed to flourish in a positive manner, I mean, we could have, like, a whole new era of, of, like, to superheroes and stuff it would have been wild like yeah it's it's interesting man this is another one of those movies that 
it kind of it's a it's sort of a small movie, meaning there's not like a lot of big things happening. But what they're playing with, the concepts, what they're working with, are like world changing. They're huge. Yeah, really are, really are. And you know, a bunch of sequels did come out. They're okay. You know, they're nothing to go gaga over. They're they're not bad. And in fact, they might have held up a little bit better over time. Uh, maybe now watching them, they're more nostalgically fun, but it's not Cronenberg. Yeah. Cronenberg didn't direct them. He didn't direct Scanners, Scanners 2, Scanner Cop, and all that <laughs> Scanner stuff. Scanner Cop, yeah. <laughs> uh, great cast. Great ca- the, both All those Scanner movies have a phenomenal cast, and they have like a, uh, a continuing storyline, but it's just not the same. Yeah. I mean, no one... If this no was one... an HBO show, an HBO show like Westworld, for example be fucking awesome yeah no i can see that i can totally fucking see that come on hbo get on that anyways uh from there you cut to the train station <laughs> the beautiful you... canadian uh subway platform hey it's can- it's canada eh? so uh to all our canadian friends y'all are clean y'all are safe y'all are beautiful y'all are kind trust me i know so many canucks that are just such nice people i just want to say canada we love you the bee's knees. <laughs> yes, the cat's meow, the dog's pajamas, if you will. And we have been told you all do all play hockey. So thank you for confirming that. And leave your doors unlocked. So yeah. uh, surprise, we're here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyways, uh, cut to Keller at the train station walking up the stairs. He goes to like the, 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 a bench by the, where the train picks up everyone. And there's a man sitting there, but you don't see who he is. Oh, come on. Uh, I knew from the get-go that was going to be Revic. I mean, and the second time I watched it, I was like, come on. Just stop with the pomp and circumstance. Because they do it they do it a couple times. Yeah. And like, yeah. dude, It's really. like, come on. Right from the get-go, we get, we get it. It's super <laughs> obvious. And um, basically, Keller tells Revic that, that they have a scanner that's going to try and go, come after him. And... Revic asks, like, what can he do? Is he in any any kind of shape? And Keller's like, he seems to function, but nothing to worry about. He's weak. Like, he's kind of laughing it off, like he did when he turned the monitor off. Yeah, yeah. It's a very short scene, but from there you cut to Vale and Ruth at the, um, still in the warehouse, but in a very cold part of the warehouse, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might add. A very cold part, because there's, like, huge steam coming out of their mouth and they look <laughs> frozen as fuck anyways uh they he brings him into a room which looks like the setup for a snuff film because there's like a mat on the ground and there's a dude sitting on the ground with like monitors ekg stuff stuck to him and there's some scientists behind him uh and ruth says to vale he's like welcome to our little psychic gymnasium Please meet Yoga Master Dieter Tots. I'm like, who yoga? This is when Yoga Masters were very like, you know, trippy dippy and all this shit. I, I do like the fact that they bring in the yogi. I think that's a cool idea um, because in our world, it, you know, I know that we know that there are have been you know people who claim they can do these extraordinary things. They're always like yogis or something. So it's cool to kind of ground this in our world where we can understand that oh yogis you know can do these things and now he's gonna be and i like what he said like his your psychic sparring partner i was like okay this is cool and i get it like as a viewer i'm like i i get what Dieter can do you know what i mean and i don't have to be 
weirdly, I don't have to be explained. Once I know that he's a yogi, I'm like, okay, I get it. Dieter can do these things, you know? Yeah, yeah. He said, Ruth says, um, he's able to control at he's able to control at will his heart rate um, and his alpha wave rhythm and many other supposedly uncontrollable functions. I'm like, oh, Ooh, like ladies. like our bowels. Yes, he can <laughs> control his bowels. He can <laughs> poop on cue. Um, and so Ruth's like, are you ready? Oh, he says that to the technician. He's like, is everything ready? Good. So he says to Vale, he has Vale like take his jacket off. And I'm like, Vale must be freezing now because he's he has to take his heavy w- winter coat off. And now he's in his like all white outfit. Yeah. He sits down facing Ruth. Or sorry, he sits down facing um, the, the, the yogi, Dieter. Dieter. <laughs> Dieter. He sits down facing Dieter, and everything is good. Um, this, this guy looks like a Dieter, by the way. This guy. This guy. Looks like he probably has some Dieters. questionable things under his bed. And when I say questionable things, I'm talking about snuff films on VHS. <laughs> looks like he Dieters people. <laughs> I'm just... J- projecting probably not he's got that beard he's got that weird beard (laughs) he's got that creepy salacious look to him (laughs) anyways um he says cameron i want you to slowly release your scan and with focus i want it to touch dieter tot's heart and not his brain do you understand telepathy is not mind reading it is direct linking together of two nervous systems separated by space that's I want you to That's cool and you have to like remember that specifically that fact that it's nervous systems touching nervous systems and I love that that it's not just mind to mind control that David Cronenberg added this layer to it that I find very fascinating and I think it opens up a lot more options than if this was just about mind control. Yes, very cool. Very cool. I, I wrote this whole thing down because I, I felt like it was all important. He says, I want you to link your brain to his heart. And I want your brain to make his heart beat faster. Do you understand? It is his heart that starts to beat too quickly. He will take control of his heart. Oh, you, He will take control of his heart away from you and slow it down. You don't have to worry about Dieter. You have to make his heart beat faster. Fast, 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 fast. Young hearts die young (laughs) when they're all alone. (laughs) Cue montage. And, uh, And so he does that. He starts scanning him. And as he does, you pretty quickly see Dieter, Dieter start to freak out. And yeah. <laughs> he's he's like having a seizure. Yeah. And he's fall, falling down the ground. Uh, he's asking for he's telling them to stop. And he's like freaking out. Right. Uh, and, and he looks like he's going to die. And and, yeah. and after what we saw with Revic, we think, oh, shit, is his head going to explode? It doesn't because Ruth yells at him. He's like, end your scan. End it now. And he won't. He's not ending it. Vale is not listening to him. And suddenly he goes to get the ephemeral to, to like basically shoot him. And then some, and as soon as he does right, right before he shoots him up, Vale stops and he smiles. 
And he looks at, he stands up and he looks up at Dr. Ruth and he goes, you were right, Dr. Ruth. It was easy. And you're like, oh shit, this guy Quick. knows how to control his scan. He can scan people. Is he going to be as deadly as Revic? We'll find out later. Yeah, because he clearly has a little bit of a mean streak because he proved his point by making Dieter suffer for a few seconds. Like, you know, he he could have stopped it early, but he's like, mm, I'm going to see. He took Dieter to the edge is, is what he did. And, you know, I don't know if Dieter liked that, to be honest with you. And at this point, I was like, I'm not quite sure if Cameron Vale is a good guy or not. Samesies, samesies, samesies. And if this was a TV show, we'd probably have one or half the season of him learning how to control his abilities. Yeah. This is kind of condensed into a two minute scene and which is fine. It's totally yeah, fine. Yeah. Like you, you get the sense that time has elapsed uh, with Ruth and Cameron and you know, uh, Cameron is like, finally being acknowledged and supported for who he is all these years. And of course he's going to trust Dr. Ruth because Dr. Ruth has not done anything to kind of push that trust yet, yet. Um, so when you get the sense that like he knows what he's doing now, you're like, Oh shit, this guy, this guy's now a superhero. Yeah. He knows how to control his abilities. And I think it's a it's I think it's like an Anakin Skywalker scenario. I think him and Revik are probably the most powerful out there, although we don't know that there's a connection between the two, but they are like and I think I think we're supposed to learn that from Cameron Vale Vale being able to sort of control his stuff this quickly once he's figured out how it works and everything. So And we're gonna find out who those other people are very soon. Yep. The Jedi Council. From there uh, we cut to Vale and Ruth. So I just have to pause for a second and say it's interesting how like, a big chunk of this film is just Vale and Ruth talking to yeah. each other. But it's done so well. Obviously, Patrick McGowan, Patrick McGowan is like such a he's a legendary actor and he's so good. He is like. He's like Max von Sydow in, in Dreamscape. Yeah. Um, it's really well done. It's so cool. I could see how in, on, on the first viewing, maybe moments where you feel bored or distracted or whatever because of not you specifically, but I'm just saying in general yeah. of people. Um, but if you really break it down, and of course this is what we do in, on Podcasting After Dark, writing down like pieces of dialogue and whatnot, you really get the importance of these scenes. They're all super important yeah i mean if i only had one viewing under my belt going into this it would have been a completely different story but yeah this movie demands multiple viewings and even on my first go around i was never bored by all the talking that was in this film i just you know i mean the head explosion is in the first 15 minutes and nothing is that extreme throughout the entire film until you get to the climax so i was just kind of like where's the next thing but but on a second viewing and then moving forward, I can only imagine, yeah, dude, then you start, that's when you start, you just put aside the head exploding and you're like, okay, yeah. I get it. That's there. Let me like now start tasting everything else. And you realize that like this movie is more than just that head exploding scene. Yeah, it is. It really is. And it's a shame that so many people often go, oh, Scanners is that movie with the guy's head exploding. Exactly. No, it's a fucking, uh, it's a, it's a journey. Yeah, it is. And like a, in a, in a much deeper film. And it's a, actually a really fucking good story, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Ruth, now you cut to Ruth and Vale um, in a 
in another part of the uh, warehouse, uh, Ruth is showing photos to Vale of a guy named Benjamin Pierce, who uh, was in prison for the criminally insane. And he's Arkham, showing... Arkham Asylum. Totally. Jeez. He's showing uh, images of art that he's made. And Ruth says, you know, Pierce is the only lead we have. An own scanner who may or may not be a part of Revex Underground. And then Vale goes, why was he in prison? <laughs> All flat. <laughs> he tried to kill his entire family, father, mother, sister, when he was 10 years old. That was 1958. He was released two years ago. Rehabilitated through art. Okay, so let's do the math. He was 10 years old in 1958. Okay. This is 81. This is now 81. So he's like 30. He's 30, what, 32, 33 years old? 33 yeah. years old. 33 right. years old with the... Still younger than Revic. 33 years old with the worst comb over in the history of life, cinema, anything. It is the worst comb over ever. But, but, dude, me saying that Arkham Asylum got my brain thinking, man, it's... He is a fucking Batman villain. Like, he is a comic book villain, possibly, like this guy Pierce. Like, we don't really ever get a chance to sort of, you know, know what he's sort of capable of. But, like, the fact that he was in, you know, psychiatry, like, criminally insane and just the art stuff. Like, this this is a comic book movie. Guys and gals, this is a comic book superhero movie before any of the fucking comic book superhero movies came out, you know? Yeah, forget uh, M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong's movies, Unbreakable and uh, Glass and, you know, not, I'm not, I, I like Unbreakable, by yeah, the way. me too. But, but it's, he's kind of biting off of what yeah. Scanners did. Yeah, th this did that first. <laughs> this did that whole thing of, this is like, hey, we are a superhero comic book movie, but we are not packaged as a superhero comic book movie. We are packaged as a weird horror movie thriller. And yeah, that's I think you're right. I think uh, uh, M. Night Shyamalan was probably inspired by that for Unbreakable because it's like, that's a superhero movie, but it's not packaged as a superhero movie. M. Night Shyamalan brings the most original piece of filmmaking we've ever seen. <clears throat> uh, not really. Uh... <laughs> Again, I do like Unbreakable, and I, know I do, do too. too. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. But let's but it, just but let's call, call a spade a spade. It's not as groundbreaking as you think it is. Yep, yep. So, anyways, uh, yeah, Ruth is telling Vale about Pierce. It's their only lead, but he's an artist. He's got an art gallery that he should go check out called the Crostic Gallery. Cut to the Crostic Gallery, got and there's shots of all these very unique. Uh, sculptures and they're very much the inside mind of a scanner I um, I do want to know like who created that art because it's very it's, cool it's very cool and very impressive but also like you can tell like they didn't just find it like it does what it needs to do which is just shows you the inside mind of a scanner like you just said I just want to know who actually made that art because it's really fucking neat it's very neat it's very creepy um and and of course, you know, it's obvious that that uh, it's of someone who has demons in their head. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, you hear this voice of this man saying uh, so Vale is looking at the art of Pierce and you hear this voice of this man go, the man has incredible power, doesn't he? <laughs> vale goes power. Oh, Yes. 
He does. <laughs> the man introduces himself. He's like, I'm Arno Crostick. I'm pleased you could come to my gallery. Mm, I'm sure I know you. And, the, and Vale says, I don't think so. I'm Cameron Vale. I flew in from Montreal just to be here tonight. Yeah. This <laughs> is probably Crostic. some of his most stiffest acting that he's done. Yeah, but but clearly, I mean, I'm watching this scene and I'm like, this dude Crostick is totally wants Vale's dick. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> get, As someone who's been around dudes who older guys who like are uncomfortably attracted to them, I know the feeling. I know Hello, the vibe. boys. <laughs> Cue confetti. Come on. Hello, boys. Want to party with me? And so, yeah. So, uh, so Vale's like, I came here from all, all the way from Montreal. And Crostick's like, really? Are you an aficionado, aficionado of Benjamin Pierce? And he's like, I- I'm interested in buying this piece for my apartment in Paris. But did he say he was from Montreal? He flew <laughs> yeah. into Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, he's like, but I don't know. I get the feeling it wouldn't work out unless I could meet the artist. And Crostick says, you know, I'm, I'm afraid not. It just, I, I can't do that. And then Vale, vale turns and looks at me and goes, maybe you could just tell me where he lives and I could approach him myself. You wouldn't be involved. <laughs> You're like, well, this is some shady shit now, <laughs> you know? And Crostick's like, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't. And then Vale says, well, maybe then you could just think about where he lives. And suddenly he starts scanning Crostick. Yeah. And it, and I like how it's always painful for the scan E, you know, and you can tell it's, it, you know, obviously it takes effort for the scanner, but it, they, you know, they say even at the beginning with the guy's head explodes, it's always painful for the scan E. And I like that because and I can totally see again, Cronenberg jamming out with his friends, reading comics, be like, man. You know, you know, with Professor X reading your mind, he's like, that would be so painful for the other person because, you know, you're so you're so willful. You're so prideful. You're not going to let somebody just take your thoughts from you. You know, it would be a painful experience. And I think he he stuck to that and, and he sticks to that through the whole movie. You know? Yeah. I mean, for everyone who's ever had a horrible migraine in their life, they, they know what it like. They know what it feels like to get scanned, I guess, yeah. is what I'm saying. And so. um yeah, he's given uh, Arno, good old Arno, a workover on his mind. And at that same moment, Arno starts freaking out and, and people come to his aid and take him away. And then there's a woman that's watching the whole thing. Jennifer O'Neill, Kim. The beautiful and woman. She, With salt beautiful. and pepper hair. She's got, she's got some grain in her hair. I love it, man. I love it. I dig that, man. I like, Dude, first of so all, much. I dig like the natural hair. Just yeah. like let it rock. Uh, but, but she's like a natural, she's like one of those kind of classic looking actors. Yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so she starts scanning Vale <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, who's this? And then when Vale realizes what's going on, he looks to see who's scanning him and she's gone. Yep. Cut from there to the wilderness, like a farm, which is Pierce's home. By yes. The way. Ah, part of me wants to live that Pierce life, just living in a barn and making art for the rest of my life. Just get oh, dude, away from society. It, 
it triggered a really cool memory of mine when I was in Taos, New Mexico years ago. And there's this road, it's called like the road. It's like the road to Ojo Caliente, which is this beautiful outdoor spa, like natural springs and such. And there's like this pink barn. I think it's a pink barn in the middle of nowhere. And you go to it. I remember I went to it and to investigate and the door was open. There was no one to be found, but it was total artist hippie commune Ah. place. It was so fucking cool. And like, there's this, who knows how many dudes or dudettes or whatever hold up in this place, but it was wild. And I'm like, I'm sure there's a lot of drugs going on. Uh, a lot of orgies. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, and guys and gals, this is the first good story that Zach has told us on Podcasting After Dark. Let me look up. This is uh, episode number 63, and we finally have a good positive story. Not Zach saying, Yeah, I remember the time when some guy was knocking at the window, and I think it was my my mom's uh, ex boyfriend (laughs) trying to come in. Just man, buddy, people, we do get messages, man. People are just like, Oh, Zach. <laughs> oh, my buddy, my buddy, Dean, my buddy, Dean, uh, from, from high school, uh, who always chimes in like the day after the episodes drops, he'll, he'll message me and like the, the TV Obscura with Rambo. He's like, when was that on TV? I don't remember that. I'm like, it was like six 30 in the morning. It's like, yeah, I wasn't watching TV at that time in the morning. Uh, he's always, he always checks in. He's like, man, I didn't know you were bullied in school like that. Or I felt so bad about this. I'm like, don't feel bad, dude. So you're welcome, Dean. Here's a one to put a smile on your face. A drug induced, uh, hippie commune in Taos, New Mexico. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. So anyways, um, Vale gets out, gets out of his car, approaches the, the farmhouse, the barn, uh, walks in, enters this studio. Um, it's crazy looking. And there's a dude in there. Uh, like there's a, there's a, there's a loft in the barn and there's a dude in the chair, like bearded, like Corey said, comb over looking hella older than 32. Yeah. (laughs) By the way. And, uh, and Vale says, you know, asks him if he's Benjamin Pierce and Pierce is just like, why don't you leave me alone? And Vale's like, I need help. And you're, you're the only one that can give it to me. And, and Pierce is like, is that right? Me? Very odd. This dude is like acting very weird. Yep. The, the actor is, is weird on as well. He's weird. And, and. Well, we'll get to it. It's just everything that he does is weird. He starts laughing. It's a terrible laugh. It's like yeah. very forced. He's like, oh, 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 then I think you're in big trouble, chum. And uh, and Vale's basically Vale says, well, look, I'm looking for this guy named Daryl Revick. And uh, Pierce is like, who? Well, who are you? And you cut from there. You cut to a van pulling up at the barn. I can't. I can't and, hear a van and not think down by the river. <laughs> you see a van down by the river, <laughs> and and a bunch of people get out. And real quick, I gotta say, uh, the goon squad here, four people. Props to Cronenberg uh, for the Hit Squad to have a female in it. I was like, and yeah, diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ma- male, female, white, black. I was like, this is a diverse little Hit Squad. Good job, David Cronenberg. <laughs> exactly. Um, Cut back to Pierce and Vale, and they're going back and forth about 
about Revic. Uh, and Pierce says, I was told you were coming to pay me a visit, Mr. Vale. And Vale's like, well, how do you know that? Pierce says, well, I have friends. I don't want them, but I have them, meaning he can hear the voices in Revic, right? I feel that way about some of my friends, too. <laughs> I don't want I them, not but one I have of them. them. <laughs> you're, no, you're not one of them. God, no. No, I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about ones that I don't ever talk about. How many people who have, quote-unquote, friends on Instagram, how many of those people do you actually interact with? Right, exactly, yeah, exactly. And how many of those people say, promote this on fuck you records or whatever <laughs> sorry like that is i'm i'm so over that shit how is that effective who is the person that clicks on that if you're one of the people that clicks on that let us know i'll send you a sticker myself fyi i abandoned the podcast tag like a year ago and i don't get hit it's they're all they're following the podcast tag just don't use the podcast tag i get them on my notes for Bodie now yeah jesus yeah love your art promoted on fuck you yeah this yeah no instagram is going down (laughs) fast i'm not gonna lie sadly it's uh it's becoming unfortunately the worst yeah tiktok tiktok i I mean i'm I'm not gonna ever go to tiktok so pad's never pad's never gonna have any sort of uh, you know presence there but uh soon I think we're all going to be off Instagram because, and I've also seen a bunch of artists are just are leaving because all their artwork is just always getting like taken down and everything. And everyone's going to Twitter and I've always hated Twitter, but I respect the fact that Twitter doesn't have any sort of rules as is like, as far as like, you can't show this or whatever. Yeah. So it's so funny that I fought TikTok or Twitter for so long that I might actually open up a Twitter account because I mean, dude, seriously, I'm watching artists and cosplayers just getting just destroyed by the algorithm. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, well, if we're not having any fun on this platform, you know what? It's going to go the way of Tumblr pretty soon. Yeah. And fun fact, uh, you can't tag Corey and things on, 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 uh, Twitter that's NSFW. That's not NSFW because if you do, it'll come up my porno life. That was my so, original Twitter handle. Yeah. <laughs> as a, as a, uh, you know, I have you. my other personality as my dad self and <laughs> very PG. And I post things. I'm like, and I tag Corey. I'm like, yeah, it's me, Zach VO, voiceover artist and dad with co- my porno life. Wait, what? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Cut back to Val, 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 the good time gal. Cut back to Val, cut back to Val and Pierce talking about uh, how, you know, Pierce knows that he was coming and Val's like, you have scanner friends? And Pierce says, what do you mean by that? And Val says, I'm one of you. As all of this is going on, Pierce is, comes down from his loft. They're walking through his studio and they go into a giant head sculpt. And once they're in the head sculpt, there's like veins in there, yeah. sinus cavities, brains. It's yeah. fucking awesome. It's like a hangout pad, but all the cushions and everything are made out of human organs. Yeah. Like pretend human organs. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. real. Yeah, no. It's cool, though. It's really, really cool. And, you know, I mean, the artwork that, that they produced for this movie, for this character, 
I mean, it totally fits with what this care, what I assume this character would probably make art about, and his little sanctuary would probably be a little couch thing inside of a giant paper mache head, you know, anim- like an anatomically correct paper mache head, and everything. It's really cool. It's just really fucking cool. Yeah, and so while this is going on, Vale is now trying to convince. Pierce to tell him where Revic is by basically playing him. Yeah. Uh, pretending that he 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 wants to join their group. And Pierce says, you know, I think you better tell me what you really want. And that, and it cuts to the people who were in the van are now approaching the barn and they've all got shotguns. Hmm. There's like four or five of them. Yeah. And uh and so Vale's like, you know, still trying to sell it. And he's like, it's the voices, they're driving me crazy. I need to find Daryl Revick to help me, basically. Pierce like gets serious suddenly, and he's like, you, my friend, are a liar. Now get out. And Vale says, I'm not leaving until you can tell me where to find Daryl Revick. And then Pierce says, no. All right. Well, then I'll get out. <laughs> he like jauntily gets up out of the head and starts walking out. He walks out of the head, uh, and then the five people from the van show up and start blasting the shit out of Vale. Yeah. Vale starts nope, to not scan. Vale, not Vale. Sorry, sure. sorry. Starts blasting starts blasting the shit out of Pierce. Yeah. And right? and 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 unfortunately Pierce does exaggerated motions when he gets hit by these pellets, you know. Yeah, so not only is he quirky in just the way he talks and acts, but when he gets shot, he's like, "Oh, ow." Ooh, like his 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 movements are odd. He doesn't really sell it that well. It's kind of silly. Yeah, literally kind of the only thing that I would change about this entire film. I would have him be less over the top because he's he literally you're 100% correct. He literally says ow and ooh as blood packets are, you know, exploding on him and it's just it's it's weird. It's definitely a little bit weird and not in a good way. Yeah, it's. I agree with you. It's the only scene in the movie where I'm just like, meh. It's, it's it's really the only one, guys. It's the movie's pretty fucking amazing. Otherwise, this is a little bit silly. But good blood packets, though. There are good squibs on them. You know, They're, I could kind of leave out the next scene too, but but we'll get to that as well. But yeah, the the squibs are great. Cronenberg's uh, so great with his violence, so great with his violence, and so they're blasting away at Pierce. Ooh, ow, mm, uh, mm. yeah, <laughs> and um, uh, and and all the while, Vale is inside the head of the, still inside the head. Um, after they bl- obliterate uh, Pierce, Vale scans all five of them, basically kills all of them. I don't know if he kills them or if some of them pass out. He basically disarms all of them. They all drop to the ground, and he's able to escape. I mean, they go flying. Like, one one flies through the the, the head, and he steps out through the hole and everything. I think he kills them, man. I think he killed all of them. And the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, he's going to pop all their heads. And then he doesn't. So that's why I was kind of like, oh, okay. But on the second viewing, I'm like, but I get it. Like, Rev- you want to be able to give Revic this this ability because you always want your villain to be more powerful than your hero. And you you know the movies that, that you want to be great that aren't great, it's always because the fucking villain is never quite that good, you know? Like, ne- or never quite that powerful or never quite that interesting. Here... 
Revic is powerful. Revic is interesting. Revic is is really fucking cool. And watching it again, I'm glad that Cameron Vale can't do the extreme things that Revic can because Revic also has had practice doing it. He's had decades of practice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. So, the, but the first time I watched it, I wanted to see them more like extreme deaths, but they're not bad. They he throws them around and stuff. It is interesting. I think nowadays it would probably be CGI and like they would literally be flung around and stuff. But I think it like him dispatching them. I think works now. In many ways, too. Like in the final battle, it reminds me of like Luke Skywalker versus Palpatine. Yeah, 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 no, the final battle in this is awesome. Because well, we... Luke has, try, has finally kind of become the Jedi he was meant to be. Yeah, right? yeah, and then he also kind of like throws, to, yeah, yeah. I, I see the parallels, and I'm we, we'll discuss them when we get there, because I'm with you. I'm We're following that with you, buddy. Um, so after the bloodbath is done, all of the uh, shotgun, the van shotgun people are dead, Um Vale goes to uh, Pierce to check on him. Pierce is now dying, and he's not talking, but he's taking, talking psychically to Vale. And he says, you know, um, he keeps saying, not Revic, not Revic. They'll turn you into a zombie, uh, a zombie killer. And uh, he goes, there are others, other scanners. And then he says, Kim Oberist. And that's the last thing he says, and then Pierce dies. And that's cool. I like how he gives his like final words via psychic connection. I think that's really cool, and something we've honestly never, I've never seen before. That was really neat. Yeah, I love it. Um, and so from there, so so now you set up the next kind of sequence, right? From there, Vale leaves. He cut to the uh, his hotel that I. Apparently he's staying at. Oh they yeah, really... this scene. Yeah, yeah. I this scene could I go to. Yeah, this scene could go to. You're 100 percent correct, especially since it's like it's like all 80 yard. You know, like when yeah. he's in the hotel because I guess they couldn't get good sound, so it was already like distracting and everything. Yeah, I, I'm with you. This, we could have lost this scene. Yeah, I'll just describe really quickly. He goes to the hotel. He goes to the front desk. The front desk guy gives him a package. He takes the package up to his room. It's ephemeral. He takes the ephemeral to pass out and that's basically the end of the scene it's literally the exact same scene from transfers when they send him a new watch back in time except the transfers part was done so much more interestingly this we didn't need at all yeah because tim thomerson is the fucking man so there <laughs> you <is>. go <laughs> um so from there Vale is now walking down a dark street and stops in front of an old building that it's like a I guess the best way to describe it is like a halfway house, kind of like a like a commune, like in the downtown area. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell it's Canada because their fire hydrants are very different than ours. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're clean. And and they're, the streets are very clean. <laughs> they're attractive. And everybody's very polite. <laughs> and they're polite. And they're playing hockey I dated for a some Canadian reason. <laughs> once. I dated a Canadian chick once and then when we broke up, it was like the nicest breakup. <laughs> Was it like, uh, was she like, should we be friends now? Like, it's. <laughs> I think she wanted to be friends now. <laughs> awesome. I think she did want to be friends. And I was like, how can we be lovers when we can't be friends? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Thanks, so good. 
Them French um, in the hizzy. <laughs> she, French is like cleaning. It's ten thirty-five, and she's got her rubber gloves on, and she's damn like rocking and rolling. Okay. Femme French. That's how she rolls, <laughs> keeping all this in, <laughs> right? <laughs> you should keep. I this will. In. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Fun fact: my wife loves to clean. She does, um, I, I, and that is one thing me and Femme French have a, in common. We actually have a we actually have a lot in common. We have a actually. lot in common. We do, we do. But that Magic. is a, what'd you say? magic magic yeah exactly magic and all that kind of shit yeah no me me and friend french we we connect man we connect for for everyone that's that's hanging on tooth and nail with this this is like a glimpse into what podcasting after dark's wrap up after dark on patreon is like (laughs) so if you're not a patreon subscriber please consider doing so because it's a lot of fun yeah as everyone knows crystal knows (laughs) uh miranda knows aaron knows look at it like three three awesome Women that we just mentioned. And guys and gals, uh, Zach and I have a new show dropping on Patreon this month. We are starting our, uh, we're going to go through John Carpenter's entire catalog uh, in order, starting with Dark Star, and it's going to be called The Carpenter Factor. Now, these these episodes are not going to be full movie breakdowns, but what they are going to be is freeform discussions where Zach and I talk about the movie, but also talk about how it fits into John Carpenter's catalog of films his overall you know filmography and everything and look at at the auteur as a whole by looking at the individual movies and we're going to do that month by month on patreon so check us out uh it's going to be called the 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 carpenter factor we haven't locked in a name yet but um it's going to be replacing the interviews after dark tier because we're going to start releasing the interviews uh for free on on the free feed but this will be a whole new show and it'll go as long as we go through entire john carpenter's catalog and then we will go to another mini series so that tier will basically be a mini series tier buddy like maybe cronenberg we might go through Cronenberg. We might, or we might tackle an entire series of of, of franchise, like all the Phantasms or something. Um, but it's going to be basically, uh, you know, a mini series tier as it is. And uh, yeah, we think you guys are really, really going to like it. Yeah, and uh, and I was just going to say Robert Ortiz. You you know what's up too. So. Yeah, buddy, you know what's up. <laughs> you know what's up. Anyways, um, yeah. So so Vale goes to this halfway house. And a guy answers the door and Vale says he introduces himself and he asks for Kim Oberist and they, and the guy lets him in and then he tells him to free kind of hold it. And he, he scans him. He's yeah, he scans him. He scans him and brings him upstairs. But he also finds out that Pierce is dead. Like, so that guy at the door, when he scans Vale, he goes, oh, no. Like, he, he realizes, he gets from his memory that, that Pierce died. So he they do know Pierce. You know, they were connected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, they go upstairs, and uh, Kim, who was at the art gallery, is now there with a bunch of other— and, and the guy who brought Vale in— Tells him to wait kind of in this lounge area. And Kim is helping somebody on a couch. It looks like she's like helping him with the scanning or whatever. Which is cool because you don't ever quite know what Kim is doing with that guy. But I'm with you. It's like, yeah, I think he's help. she's helping him with his powers or something. But he looks a little bit like he's in distress and she looks concerned. I like that we don't actually know 100% what they're discussing. I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. And and the dude that brought Vale in the in the house tells Kim that Pierce is dead. Uh, but he scanned this. He scanned Vale, and then he's for real. And she turns towards Vale, and she tells him to sit down. And she goes, "I know, I know you. You were at the gallery. You were looking for Pierce." And Vale's like, "I need help." From there, you cut to Revic outside of the building. This is very interesting. Yeah. Revic's outside of the building, like kind of nearby watching. And you close up on Revic's face. And his face starts, like, his appearance starts changing. It's like fading in yeah. to different types of people. It's really cool. It's, it's, sh- it's showing you that he's in control of those people without actually saying it. This is like... Honestly, that's this is like mastercraft filmmaking without dialogue. You, you know, you and I, all the viewers, we know we exactly know. what's happening because there's like this fade and like, you know, he, he it's yeah. And you know that basically Michael Ironside is controlling these characters. It's masterfully done by a very young filmmaker, very young filmmaker. And kind of at, at first viewing, one could think, oh, is he like changing his appearance? Right because that kind of plays in down the road. Um, but no, yeah, he's he's psychically linking with the other people that he needs to, his goons, basically. Yep. From there, he cut back to Vale, sitting at a table with uh, Kim and other various scanners. And they're chanting, they're, they're doing like this. I wrote, I'm like, this is a hippie chant. You're sitting around <laughs> and going. Wait, like, you're like, Zach's at home, Zach's taking notes. He's like, these are filthy hippies right here. <laughs> These are fucking filthy hip. <laughs> Republican for life. No. Um, no. I'm kidding. No political affiliation on this show. I'm I'm a pacifist. Um, <laughs> You're a Zaxifist. I'm a Zaxifist. Zach's a fist. <laughs> Zach is a fist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> French. Um, <Jesus>. So... <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you've had two Jack and Cokes tonight, oh too, by the way. Oh, Zach is saucy tonight. <laughs> oh, woofa, doofa, scaramoofa. Um, so they say, scan together, and our minds begin to flow into each other until we become one mind, one nervous system, one soul, one experience, beautiful and frightening. And then suddenly, it, as, at, they cut... From there, you cut to two dudes uh, who Revic was thinking of enter the halfway house, and they're carrying with, guitar cases. With their, with their trusty guitar cases. Hashtag El Mariachi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Django. They all got it from Django, by the way. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. Uh, but maybe maybe they got it from the 1940s. I don't know. Remember that sh- that cartoon Cops? Cops? Yeah, no, no. I crime? I immediately think of Buttons McBoom Boom. He was my favorite, like, f- criminal, whatever. They they were called Cops and Criminals, you know? Yes. But I actually only had one Cops toy, and that was Buttons McBoom Boom, because I thought Zoot Suits and double-breasted jackets were cool, and the fact that you could open his up and he had guns, and then he had guns in his briefcase and his, or his guitar case, wherever it was. Yes, I'm picking up everything you're putting down, buddy. <laughs> 
if you could see my screen looking at Corey, there's stuff all over the screen now. I can't see Corey's face. He just went, Okay. So Buttons McBoom Boom is fucking awesome. He is yeah. fucking awesome. And it's and it's awesome that they fucking run into like a tenant who just kind of like walks out the, his, his door oh, or something. This, this is the best. Yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. A la Vice Squad. Yeah. Because one of the dudes, the dude that uh, int- opened the door for Vale uh, shows up. Oh, it was him. I, okay. I thought it was a different tenant. But yeah, you're right. It was the front door guy, essentially. Yeah, front door guy. And, uh, well, yeah, we'll get back to that. So so you cut back to Vale and Kim and the whole group saying, so frightening to lose yourself. To lose your will to the group will lose yourself to the group self. And then you cut back to Revex men going up the stairs to where they all are. And they're pulling shotguns out of their guitar cases. And, the yeah, the dude who... Uh, brought Vale in the house to begin with walks out on them and they grab him and they toss him over the railing, over the staircase onto the floor, like two stories. They yeah. throw him off two stories basically. And when he falls, he falls down the camera, like shows him fall and hit his face on the ground. It looks, it looks painful. Dude, I mean, it's it's almost as good as the Vice Squad throw down the subway thing. Like that was, that's still the best, bro. That is still the absolute best. Cut back to Vale and group, and they're saying the power we can generate when we focus our scans together is fantastic, terrifying, exhilarating. Cut back to the dudes entering the room with guns, and they just start blasting everybody. One chick gets hit square in the head. Yeah. Another guy in the chest. Everybody just starts getting blasted. Yeah, and even though their eyes are open, you can get the sense that they're not seeing the real world they're all looking at whatever they're doing and everything so like i mean even when the first person gets blasted they're not it doesn't really like it takes a second for them to sort of realize what's happening like they they the hitmen get a chance to kill like three of them before you know before what what you're gonna say is about to happen but i found it interesting that it did take them a like a couple like a second to kind of come back to reality but that was enough time to let you know a few of them get killed yeah, I think like uh, three or four people in that group uh, get blasted away and Kim awakens, screams, and she flames Revix men. She torches yeah. them. Yeah. Like telekinesis style. <laughs> yeah, like fucking that's telekinesis, Kyle. <laughs> fucking straight up torches those motherfuckers. They, they get torched. Uh, the survivors of the group run out of the building while it's on fire. And there's a shot of back in the building, you know, after they leave, just kind of showing the fire and everything. And you can see, and we all know that they're mannequins, but one of the the the, the dead people are like you can see its mannequin face, you know? And yeah. just like just like fucking Tony Stark in Avengers One, I wanna say to Cronenberg, you thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. <laughs> To the guy playing Galaga, you know? Yeah. We did. Cronenberg, we noticed. (laughs) I love the fucking Marvel movies, man. Well, I watched them like 20 million times because Bodhi's obsessed. Of course. And it's perfect. And it's perfect (laughs) here. Totally. Nice. 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 uh, Nice one. I I appreciate that. (laughs) I figured you would. uh, The the burning hippie commune who survives (laughs) runs out of the building 
and they pile into a school bus. I call them hippie commune because who the fuck rides yeah. around in a short bus but a hippie commune? Yeah, um, no, filthy fucking hippies. <laughs> right. And from there, they head out. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. And with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean. Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. And now, back to the show. And that's when Kim is freaking out, and she's like, I know what it feels like to die. And kind of like the main dude in charge, his name is Tony. Spoiler alert, he's not going to survive long. Yeah, and he says to to Vale, he's like, everywhere you go, somebody dies. Who the hell are you? And Vale goes, I'm a scanner. And I do like how how Kim is like totally shooken up by the fact that she was linked to those people that died. I mean, and she's kind of shooken up for the rest of the movie from that experience. She's pretty much yeah, she's pretty much fucked and uh and she feels yeah, she cuz she's like part of her died. Part yeah. of her probably died. Uh Vale re- reveals that Consec found him. Um that's all he knows. And he says they want me to find Rebek. I think they want to kill him, but they didn't tell me anything about you guys. And from there, (laughs) this is awesome. From there, you see the, the, the van driving down the main street and over to like the right of the, of the screen on the sidewalk screen, screen, right there, left. Yeah. Screen right there, left. You see this black a team type van driving down a sidewalk fucking fast yeah it's a, it's a beefier van you can tell it's like armored and shit i like it i was like oh this is like a team shit like you just said so it's like kumbaya versus like hardcore proud boys yeah like, <laughs> yeah like blacked out windows and, and bulletproof shit and everything yeah. yeah with probably truck nuts in today's yep. day they probably have truck nuts and with a little jesus cross on it or something <laughs> anyways uh <laughs> Yep. <laughs> it, it's badass. It's badass looking. It pulls up right next to them. And like Jake's speed style, the, the shutter windows on the sides of this van all open up. And like, 
I don't know. I didn't count them all, but there's like five or six shotguns that yeah. pile out and just start blasting away. I was like, holy shit. Like from the moment, like, cause I like that there was not a lot of like musical cues or anything telling you to, to pay attention to that van. But like, yeah, you're watching this van, the good guy van driving. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, why is that one van? Like, on the side, oh my god, it's coming up right to them. Then you don't even have time to think. The shotguns come out and just start blasting. And people are, the good guys just start getting fucking killed. I mean, dude. And it's well done. It's very well done. It's well shot. I mean, Cronenberg is a really good action director, too. Like, seriously, man. Yeah, he really is. He's really good at, I mean, you see it in, um, in, uh. Not Eastern Promises, but yeah, the, the other, other one. one, the the History of Violence one, yeah. History of Violence, yeah. His way of like he knows how to construct a great violent scene. Mm-hmm. He really does effectively. His use of shotguns, like, don't show it to kids because kids will be like, "Oh, that's cool," because it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I like the shotguns in this movie. I really do because I've always liked and the, sound the shotguns too. with the the stock. You know, the the military shotguns, I love that. that and later on, the one guy in the basement is going to have the, the kind of shotgun that I like, you know. So, so yeah, badass. you can tell David Cronenberg, I think, has a shotgun fetish. He's got a lot of fetishes, I think. Yeah, he does. He does, he does. <laughs> yeah, I think he does. He does not have a foot fetish, though, like <laughs> Quentin Tarantino does. No, that's true. That's true. Um, but at least he puts it all on screen for everyone to see. There you go. There but you Tarantino go. puts the foot fetish on screen, too. Yeah, there's no mistaking it. <laughs> Ooh, those dirty feet and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I don't hey get man. it. I, I, it ain't my bag, baby. But at the same time, if it is your bag, I got no problem with it because to each their own. But it ain't my bag. And if you're a patron subscriber... We will embrace whatever fetish you have. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sort of. Not really. Sort of. Uh, anyways, yeah. Blast everybody except for Vale and Kim. They're the only ones that are smart enough. Tony uh, yells for everyone to get down. They're the only ones that get down on the bottom of the van to hide uh, while everyone's getting obliterated, including the driver. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, and the van drives out of control and plows, speaking of violence and set pieces, plows directly into a record store. Yeah. And just unfortunately obliterates the record store. Unfortunately, no, no, say it right. Unfortunately obliterate, obliterates the vinyl. The vinyl <laughs> the, the, store. The vinyl. Oh, that vinyl was destroyed. Uh. I, I, I wish there was a disclaimer at the end saying no vinyl was harmed in the making of this film. Exactly. Now I did see I was I was looking at all the the covers and everything, and I did uh, the only one I recognized was uh, Frank Zappa. I did see him there. <laughs> well, I, I I'm looking at it, and first of all, first of all, if you want to freeze frame and pause through this whole sequence, because there's some great, like I miss the old record store posters that would yeah. Be, there to promote the the upcoming albums or whatever there's like atlanta rhythm section has a poster in the logo i'm like damn that's a cool fucking logo for a <laughs> band that's like did their and i'm so into you that white boy music i like that i like that song by the way i like that song but yeah, it's I like that white like boy music cheesy <laughs> <laughs> and i'm so into you and they do a version of spooky it's like oh man 
I like it. It's just cheesy. It's Yacht Rock. Anyways. I like, I like Yacht Rock. I do, too. No, I do, too. Are you kidding me? I, uh, before we uh, recorded, I was just listening to Christopher Cross Sailing. I, I don't hate it, man. I love that shit, bro. I love it all. You know I love it. Yeah, you know dude, I, I love know. it. I, I quote know. it in Bodie's notes all the time. People are like, what the fuck is that? I'm like, that's Toto's 99. It's a jam. Um, <laughs> it's a ditty. Anyways, it's such a shame to see all that beautiful vinyl get destroyed. But... Uh, the van not only goes through the store, but it like turns on its side. Yeah. It's a great crash. Yeah. It's a great crash. Uh, Vale, uh, Kim and Vale come to like are alive. They're okay. Kim starts kind of freaking out. Vale's like, we got to get out of here. And they get out of the van and they go out the back door, back door, Johnny of the <laughs> record store, uh, which kind of leads to a cellar basement area of yeah, the record store. Like a yeah, like a storage area for the record store. But yeah, there's more cool ass posters down there too. Oh, there's like a Brian Ferry poster who's who's a fucking stud back in the day. Um, and so that yeah, they go down to hide, and Vale's like, "We'll be safe down here." And at the same time, the police show up. It's so funny because the police show up and all these like onlookers show up <laughs> kind of pushing past the police and the police are yeah. trying to control the crowd <laughs> and at, they're, they're able to push everybody back except for one guy who just kind of nonchalantly walks past all of them. And I don't, interesting. And I don't know who this guy is like actor wise, but I really fucking liked him, man. Like as like a, like a hitman type of thing or something. He had a, he had a nice like thing going on. I don't know. I liked his face or something, but there was, there was an X factor that I actually really liked. Yeah. He looks familiar, but I didn't he, track him, but yet not, was, but. you know, like he looks familiar, but yet I didn't know who he was. Yeah. I'm sure he was on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sure he was on Seinfeld. And if you want to know more about Seinfeld, check out Corey's, podcast caught right a seinfeld podcast that, that was that right cory that was the most square peg into round hole like plug i've ever heard but i'll take it go check out Cartwright a seinfeld podcast fun fact i am that guy who's like if someone says it won't fit it's not the right size i'm like i'll make it fucking fit <laughs> oh, jesus <laughs> Don't take that the wrong way. Folks. No, I, I took it the wrong way. We all took well, it the wrong way. <laughs> you can take it. You can take it the way I give it to you. <laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> yes, Daddy. <laughs> uh, Jack and Coke for two. Um, mommy. So uh, yeah. Anyways, police are holding back. The guy. The guy walks past everybody and starts walking down the staircase into the basement. And I love Vale's like, we'll be all right down here for a while. <laughs> and then Kim's like, it doesn't matter. It's all over. We're finished. And he's like, what is? And you cut back to the man going down the stairs. And he pulls out, like Corey said, a badass shotgun. And he's getting it all set up to obliterate the two of them. He knows that they're there. Yeah. And so cuts back to Vale. And Vale's like, look, you know, I can help you. We can destroy Revic together. And Kim's like, no, you're, no, you're barely human. That was a mean thing to say, by the way. You're barely human. She doesn't, she barely even knows the guy. Yeah. And how dare she? How dare you, Kim? How dare she mess with Ben Mendelsohn this way? I'm telling you, <laughs> Ben Mendelsohn, guys, and he's got the lisp. 
you know, he's got that lisp. Oh, he was in that show Bloodline in Florida. Oh, I never watched that, but I uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah. Only watch the first season because the first season's really good. It has I'm the, not a fan of the second. It has the coach from uh, the the main coach from Friday Night Lights in it. Or yeah, something. I love that. Great cast, yeah. great show, great show. Um, I'm sure Aaron Gilmer watches that show. Aaron, she's in Florida. what's up? What's up? Uh, sup? Sup? <laughs> so, anyways, uh, Kim's like, you know, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't know Revic. And they're kind of arguing, not, not really arguing, but they're discussing, you know, Revic and the whole situation. And the man enters the room and he goes to shoot both of them. He points the gun at them. And right as that happens, uh, Vale scans the man and the man goes to shoot, but he misses because he turns the gun sideways and misses van continue. Uh, Vale continues to scan him and he tries to scan his brain, like to get more, to get information from him. And then from there, Vale and Kim are now standing over the guy and he takes out a bottle. They're like, they're scanning him and he takes out a bottle of ephemeral and it has a symbol on it that we haven't seen before. But it's a very important symbol because you're going to see it a lot more very soon. Yeah. And Vale's like, you know, we got to have something that can lead us to Revic. Kim starts to walk away and Vale grabs her. And that's when you see this the, on the on the vial. It says ephemeral biocarbon amalgamate. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, you cut to Bi- biocarbon, biocarbon amalgamate, amalgamate <laughs> <Yeah>. lab. <laughs> um, at that building, there are all these trucks lined up and immediately got me thinking of the stuff. The because... stuff, yeah. Yeah, I got shades of the stuff from that too. Yeah. I'm like, I can't get enough of the stuff. <laughs> and, um, and if you uh, want to listen to the... our review of the stuff, we did that way back in season one, guys and gals. And that is a, that's a, that's a hoot. That review is a hoot. That was season one. Yeah, buddy. Jesus Christ. Anyways. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. So, um, that, yeah, all these, all these fuel trucks are lined up in front of this lab cut to inside this, this building, there's all these dudes, all these people in hazmat suits, like white hazmat suits. Yeah, like straight up and like the, of, the Blob remake, like that kind of like big hazmat suits. Totally, totally. Uh, and it's very much, and, 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 and one of the people in those suits is Vale. Mm-hmm. He's kind of sneaking around, but not sneaking around. He's just kind of like moving around with everybody. But, but I mean, when you have a hazmat suit on that big, you you don't have to like hide yourself because you can barely be seen, you know? So it's actually really good, you know, good disguise. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, Vale spots one particular guy in a suit, uh, in the factory that they're in, uh, going up a staircase to an area where no one is wearing their suits. Like a, like a, like a, a clean zone, I yeah. guess, the best way to describe it. Uh, by the way, there's like a weird, um, like hazy, haziness on the lens in this scene. Yeah, it makes everything kind of glow like a hue. Yeah, a little dreamlike. Yeah, I call to it the Barbara Barbara Walters look. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of got a <laughs> um, dreamlike quality to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he watches the guy go up the stairs and into the room, take his hood off his head, and he walks over to kind of the man in charge of this whole operation. And who is the man in charge of the whole operation, but 
Revik. Gene Raschek. Oh, I'm sorry. Re- Revik, yeah. But Bob Crampett. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, he hands Revik a uh, clipboard to look at. Uh, and then he shows Revik something on a clipboard. Revik walks away and they all kind of leave the room. Uh, Vale goes up the stairs right after them and takes off the hazmat helmet. He looks at a computer screen that shows an ephemeral shipment being sent out. Vale starts typing something on the computer and suddenly it, there's more information on there. It says uh, the ripe program on the computer screen and he wants more access to ripe, but he's denied access and he can only get it through concept. Like with transfers, I love the fact that they didn't even like show you him sneaking in. They just were like, he's just in there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm fine with that. I got no problems with that whatsoever. And even later they were like, he's like, you know, I used one of his men to get in and you can maybe assume that it was the other guy with the shotgun or something like that, but I don't care. I didn't need to see him like going past security and all this kind of stuff. It just, it cut right to the fucking chase. Well, I'll tell you why I have less of a problem with, all of this happening in this particular movie because of the scanning function. If we can mind control like Obi-Wan yeah. can do, right? Yep. Which is fucking Star Wars, yeah, dude. Yeah, th- these aren't the droids you're looking for. Like, if he tries to break in, the the, nor- the guard is going to be a normal fucking guard, and he's going to be like, nope, I'm this guy, and just, like, wave his fingers. These aren't the droids you're looking for. I'm, I'm with you 100% there, and I love how Cronenberg was like, everybody's with us on the same page, so fuck it. We don't need to show it. Yeah, so so in in the the purpose of the scene before with the guy with the shotgun in the record store is to show how much more powerful Vale has gotten yep. from all of this. Yep. Um it's just because it's coming naturally to him. Like he's like it's inherited <clears throat> wink wink nudge nudge, know what I mean? Yep. From there, you cut to a posh racket club. Yeah, dude, my only note for this scene is that fucking Dr. Ruth is straight chilling in his leather chair here when like the, I don't know, the the waiter guy, because this is like some kind of, you can tell it's like some kind of trading places, exclusive, like was, rich, you know, yeah. like country club type of scenario. But like the way fucking Dr. Ruth is like, like in his chair, he's not sitting up. He is just... He's fucking chilling, bro. It's so weird to think about. Like, I take a nap. I tried. I love taking naps. I do. And but to be like a dude at a place with all other dudes <laughs> and sitting in a chair and just pass out in the chair for no fucking reason. Goddamn, Doctor Ruth, you must have a nice life. Yeah, seriously, he, man. He has a very good life. I just. No, not you, Dr. Ruth. Get the fuck out of here. Nah, but I love sex. I love it. Sex and and violence is amazing. It goes together. No, it doesn't, Dr. Ruth. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Did someone say sex and violence? No. (laughs) No. Randy Coffey, get the fuck out of here. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Anyways, yeah, bellhop or whatever the uh, little country boy club dude comes in and tells Dr. Ruth he's got a telephone call. It's Cameron Vale. Vale says, "It's, it's Cameron Vale. And Ruth goes, we've missed you. We've missed you. <laughs> and he says, I made a breakthrough to Revic. I want to come in. I want to bring an informant from Revic's group. 
And then Ruth says, Ruth says, Excellent. Very good. I'll arrange for you to be brought in. Call me back in 10 minutes. Yeah, I was <laughs> Calling like, you back in 10 minutes? Yeah, I was what? like, that, that was weird. That that little bit of dialogue of the call me back in 10 minutes. I was like, that that was a little weird. But uh, Yeah, okay. so Vale, vale gets off the phone. He's like at a diner or a restaurant with, with Kim. And he hangs up and walks over to Kim. And he goes, Kim's like all set. And, he goes, and Vale goes, 10 minutes. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. It's going to happen in 10 minutes. From there, cut to back to the train station again. This is like, you know, Pee Wee Herman had his theater that he liked to hang out with. <laughs> Apparently, Keller has his train station he likes. Revik has his train station he likes to there hang out go. in. There you go. Um, uh, Revik is sitting near a train. You, you see, it's not, you don't see Revik's face. But you see a dude sitting at, a, at the same bench where he's facing the train. Yeah. And he's, and he's got a, a briefcase in the seat next to him. He moves the suitcase down to the suitcase, moves the briefcase down to the ground. Then Keller shows up, sits next to him. And Keller says, well, we may have a serious problem. Vale's coming in with an informant. How is this possible? And Revik says, no, he's lying. Uh, and Keller's like, why is he coming in then? And then Revik says, well, maybe he's homesick. Get that? Homesick? Mm, I, I did not get that until just now. Whoa! <laughs> Corey's mind exploded like the first, the beginning of the movie. But now, because we've had so much buildup, it's even more impactful. Yeah. No, dude, it's it's... Nah, this this fucking this script man is tight, bro. Even and yes, he was working on it and changing things while like they were shooting and everything. But he's still a master craftsman, and whether that be like filming it or writing it, this is all still like handled by a fucking a master of his craft. And it's 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 an amazing thing to see. And and even though we already know it's Revic. The minute Revit's the minute Revic starts speaking, the camera kind of pans to him to reveal that it is Revic being yeah. seen on screen. You're like, yeah. oh shit! It's supposed to blow your mind, but not really because you know we're savvy. And yeah, this was 1981. I already knew, but they did a nice little dolly pan, you know, yeah. which was nice. You know, they had to set cool. that up. Uh, Keller's nervous, you know that that they're this whole thing is going to be that he's going to be found out by Ruth, and Revic reassures Keller that. If Ruth finds out anything, they'll kill him. And Keller looks surprised. He's like surprised that he wants Ruth dead. But Revik kind of doesn't give a shit. He's like, no, if if he finds out, we'll kill him. But why would Keller be so surprised? Because it's his dad. Mm. From there, spoiler, from there you cut to uh, Vale and Kim in a helicopter uh, flying down to Consec headquarters. Uh, at the Consec headquarters, o- awaiting their arrival in a circular kind of uh, pattern are uh, like, I don't know, 10, 20 guards with shotguns. <laughs> and and real quick, props to David Cronenberg for giving the helicopter pilot a close-up shot. Yeah, he gave the close uh, yeah. I mean, the guy got his little screen scene. Guy, you know? yeah, that was his. That was his payment. <laughs> at the at the premiere, you know, this guy. Let's call him Phil Davidson. 
you know, he said to his wife, he's like, I got in the movie and I'm going to be in the movie. And she's like, no, you're not even in it. I'm in it. I promise you. Here's my scene. It's coming up. See? See? Says, That's it? <laughs> I'm the old man piloting the helicopter. I married you for this? <laughs> but I'm Canadian and you're Canadian <laughs> and you're supposed to be nice. Not all Canadians are nice. <laughs> <laughs> not this they guy's all wife. are nice except for you honey <laughs> anyways um yeah so the shotgun men are waiting for Vale and kim it's cool it's a cool scene because it's like they know how dangerous they are and it's and it's interesting that they're in this cir- in a circle basically to blast them if they have to yeah yeah and there's one guy there's one guy with his shotgun standing there when the helicopter takes off and his trench coat is like flapping in between his legs it's just like there's no way for that guy to look cool you know what i mean like he's trying to look cool and he just there's no way it reminds me of in junior high when i rocked a trench coat yeah it just didn't look cool i mean i i rocked it too in high school and uh it it, it was sure it, it was not cool. because of the the trench coat mafia it was because of x-men and i wanted to be gambit yeah and i mean i did mine because of johnny depp and 21 jump Street, oh so. okay okay yeah there you go yeah uh <laughs> We were both cooler in our minds, I'm sure. <laughs> we, so, both, we both absolutely are cooler in our minds in real life. We, no, we are cooler now than we were then. <laughs> true, um, true. So, yeah, so this doctor walks up. So Vale, vale and Kim uh, are, are in the middle of this circle, uh, circle jerk of dudes with shotguns, and a doctor goes, walks up to them and gives them a shot of ephemeral. Maybe. Maybe. We'll find out. <laughs> Cut to... Ruth and Keller in a corridor together. And Ruth says, well, Braden, Braden Keller, that is. No apologies. No vote of confidence. My man came back with the goods. And Keller's like, and this is like kind of like a trading places moment where it's like the two white, old white guys are like, yeah. I, you won the bet. Here's your dollar. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I brought him. He brought Mortimer. <laughs> No apologies, no vote of confidence. <laughs> My man came back with the goods. And Keller's like, well, let's save the party until we've unwrapped the presents, okay? And Ruth, I love this dialogue. He's like, well, it won't take me long. I have a way with these creatures. And then you start realizing, you're like, is Ruth a good guy? Yeah, yeah. He Maybe refers, he's not a good guy. He refers to them as creatures, but here's here's how I took it. I took it that... He referred to them as creatures specifically to Keller. So so to kind of like, you know, Play be like, up. yeah, like I'm I'm connected with you. I'm, I'm on your side with things. But I I don't think he really believes that. I think what he was saying earlier about how you got you like scanners can take us into like this this glorious new like era of humanity. I think that's what he truly believes. But I think when he says stuff like curiosities and, and, and creatures and stuff, I think that's him trying to downplay it to his cohorts. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. Keller's like, let's not party just yet. And uh, he goes, I'm going to talk to the informant, and you can do what you like with Vale. And Ruth's like, wait, but that won't work. Police state tactics simply won't work. And Keller says, really? Why don't you send the board a letter about it? I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. So there's the back and forth banter, and we now have set the stage that Keller is going to talk to Kim, and Ruth will have Vale. Right. 
cut to an interrogation room. Cut to an interrogation room where Ruth is smoking a cigar in the fucking interrogation room. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man. Come on. Come on. He's like, he's happy because he because the first thing he says to Cameron or uh, Cameron Vale, he goes, congratulations on your success. I'm glad to have you back home. And then Vale's like, this is weird because he's like, where's the girl? I'm like, girl? You mean woman? (laughs) They said she'd be here. And he goes, well, she's being interrogated in another room. By the way, I had to comment on uh, the fact that Vale's coat in this scene is fucking dope. Oh, I want that I didn't, sport coat. I didn't notice it. Okay, I'll it, go back and rewatch it. Okay. It's like a fur trench coat. It's, okay. It's really nice. So Vale says, uh, Vale says, I thought it would be you. And Ruth says, so did I. That's why I made sure the needles they gave you both were harmless. She'll be able to protect herself if there's any problem. See that, and that's and that's why I think he doesn't think of them as creatures. Like, uh, yeah. and he and he says he even says call it a what what does he say? Um, gesture of trust. Yes. So he says, yeah, call it a, a gesture of trust. I I like that. I like. I don't think he was that bad. I mean, I I know that he does some experiments. You know, we find out that he does experiments without sort of like his wife knowing and stuff. But I think he was maybe thinking that he was doing it for the right reasons. Well, it's also, yeah, but he's also his dad. Yeah. Well, we're going to find And he never reveals that to him. That's true. It's because, kind of, that's kind of a dick move, right? But it is a dick move because he, because, because Vale says, why did you do that? And Ruth says, you know, is meant to be a gesture of trust. I have my own methods of interrogation, and I have nothing to hide. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm. Because you're his fucking dad. Yeah, you actually have a lot to hide. You are the father. And uh, and then that's when Vale drops the bomb on him. He's like, oh, not even with the right program? Because, again, like I said earlier, and I, I didn't describe it fully, but when, when Vale was looking at the computer screen after Revic had left— and it was showing the deliveries of ephemeral all over the country. There also said that it was detailed as being a part of the right program. Yeah. So R I P E. Yeah. All in caps. And Ruth goes, the what? And Vale goes, do you know of a drug lab called biocarbon amalgamate? And Ruth says, of, of course I founded it in 1942. This is all interesting shit. And Ruth says, yeah, I sold it to Consec years ago. That's how I came to be here now. We have a genial working relationship. What does genial mean, by the way? I don't know. Let's look it up. Yeah, no, this is this is a learning moment because I thought that when I was watching it too. I was like, what does genial mean? It's so such sophisticated speech going uh, on. Genial. genial means friendly and cheerful. Okay, oh, well, so they have a, so they have a friendly relationship. All right, I, it's one of those words I've never quite really knew what it meant. You know? Okay. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. There you go. And then Vale's like, "Well, do you know what that lab does?" And Ruth's like, "I haven't had anything to do with it for some time, but I believe it produces chemical weaponry, among other things." <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Okay. So, so you you create this thing that could destroy people. And you just give it away. Well, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't care. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like that, that's like that high society mentality. I, again, this movie, dude, 
Like, seriously, man, like, if you somehow CGI changed, like, the hairstyles and the fashion or something, and you put it on TV right now, people would be like, oh my god, this makes so much sense in fucking 2022, but it was fucking made in 1981. It's insane. We are living in a dystopian future that the 80s predicted. Fucking Elon Musk is creating Waylon Utani. It's it's insane, guys and gals. How fucking the, these these auteurs, these these creative minds like David Cronenberg were actually have, yeah. able to tap into something and and just see something, man, and it fucking all came true. It's wild. Sure did. I sure mean, did. I'm still waiting for my scanner abilities, but you know. Well, it's coming. Yeah, probably. It just might be accompanied by a tumor, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, so. that's okay. <laughs> We're all, all going to die. die anyway, so. Oh, Jinx, one, two, three, oh, yo me a Coke. Boop. So Vale's like, well, this, this company's run by Daryl Revick. And Ruth's like, that's impossible. He goes, Vale says, I was there. I took the place of one of Revick's men. I saw Revick in the control room. The production of ephemeral is computerized. It's being manufactured and sent down in huge tankers. I must add, the reason I'm talking more kind of naturally is because Vale is becoming a little bit more natural. And I think he's becoming more natural because he's also he's also in control of himself now, finally. Oh, man. I, I didn't even pick up on that, but now I want to go back and rewatch and see if, like— his speech or something changes over time. It That's does. cool because he it becomes does. more, he's also becoming more human because, and it I think does. that kind of, I think it like ties into that line of dialogue that Kim says earlier where she says, you're barely human. And it, at first that was kind of jarring. I was like, That's kind of fucking mean. But I think that was David Cronenberg kind of like saying, Hey, look, he's going to start changing, you know, like pay attention yeah. to this. And I think you're right about that. I think he does. I think he does. It's subtle, but I think he does. And so Ruth basically says, you know, I want to know more about the right program. Uh, I don't have access to the concept computer clearance. And then Vale's like, well, neither do I. But then Ruth says, no, but you have a nervous system. And so does a computer. That's this is scan a computer. Like... Yep. He says you can scan a computer the way you would another human being. Come. It comes to basically show them what to do and that was dude that was so fucking cool man that was really cool yeah and i love it it's like oh this is before tron too yeah um or it's uh was was tron 82 was tron was 82 okay okay i think yeah Yeah. i think this was this was even though this came out in 81 i think he wrote the screenplay in like 79 or 80 yeah, no, I yeah. Let's all assume that that yeah. this was probably made in 1980. Uh, and Tron, yeah, you're right, is 1982. I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, Lis, uh, what's the director's name, uh, Lisberger, um, yeah, Lisberger, uh, you know, watched this and thought some things, you know, or they all took psychedelic drugs and yeah. tapped in the same psyche. Yeah, it's all it's, or whatever. it's all fucking a part of the the zeitgeist of the era and everything. You yeah. don't like like these ideas can pop up at the same time because of the zeitgeist doesn't necessarily mean they they like one is connected to the other. It's yeah, I, I like that kind of shit and I don't know how to really like pin it down, but it's just the idea of the era and it's all just floating out there in the ether, you know? And it's, yep. yeah. And people created people like Lisberger and Cronenberg just tap into this shit, you know? Totally. Totally. From there, we cut to the other interrogation room where Kim is awaiting Keller to show up. 
Keller shows up and he's kind of being all sweet to her. He says, hello. <laughs> and she says, hi back. And he goes, what a pleasant surprise. You're very attractive. <laughs> like, wow, what, what a douchebag. <laughs> my, my note is like, what a way to start an interrogation by like, so uh, chauvinistic, you know? Yeah. Oh, you're hot. Here yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah, so she doesn't say anything. And she looks annoyed. And he's like, okay, well, let's do it the formal way. Give me your name. And they kind of go back and forth. He goes, uh, he's like, tell me about Daryl Revick's organization. And he's testing her, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, before I can tell you anything, I want you to know how you intend to, pro- I want to know how you intend to protect me because Revick's going to kill me. And he goes, your best protection is to tell us what we need to know. And as he's doing that, he starts, tur- he walks over to these monitors, these video monitors on the wall, and he starts turning them off. Mm-hmm. He goes, as soon as you do tell us what they need to know, Revic will cease to be a threat to anyone. And she's like, well, that's not good enough. Revic's people are everywhere. I'm scared. And he goes, to be honest with you, Kim, the only one you should be afraid of is me. And she goes, why should I be? I've come here on my own free will. Oh, Kim, it takes her takes her too too long to figure out that he's he's the actual enemy. Right. And then menacingly, he like he just gets in her face. He's, he goes, because I know you're not who you say you are. And she's like, I want to get she basically she's like, I don't have to listen to this. And she gets up to leave and he slaps her hard in the face and then he pulls a gun on her. By the way, that gun, that that pistol, that like World War Two era automatic pistol is like my favorite fucking pistol of all time. It's the shadow pistols. Sorry, guys. It's like a cult or something. I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Zach, Zach, Zach literally was looking down in his notes. He just looked up, smiled, and looked right back down. He had nothing to add to that conversation. That was all rule, guys. That's how I'm like, we, we don't got time for this shit. So, I got to go to bed, bro. 40 minutes ago, totally had time for it. Get into the third act, son. Don't make me bark. So basically he pulls a gun on her and he's like, he's going to kill her. And then she scans him, scans that shit. Uh, scan, she scans him and blood starts dripping from his nose. He kind of falls back to the ground. She opens up the door, leaves. He comes to his senses. He gets up. Uh, he pushes like a, like a panic button on the wall where the video monitors were. And he goes to leave the interrogation room. From, cut from there, you see Ruth and Vale like basically heading towards the computer room, and Vale knows something's wrong with Kim. He's like, "Where, where is she?" And Ruth is like, "No, come with me. This is more important." And Vale's like, "No, it's not." And he just takes off. And then you you see kind of Ruth, Doctor Ruth, stop, and, and in his mind, he's he's thinking to himself, "No, this is more important. The computer is more important. Access the right program." but the right program is in the post access the past. Like he seems like he's being scanned and I'm wondering if he's being scanned by Vale at the same time while Vale's running off. Yes. Yeah, so this think? was my biggest question. This, this weird and you'll probably get more into it, but this weird dialogue that Dr. Ruth does, I was like, what is this? But I do think that it's Ruth talking to Cameron uh, via the, the scanner psychic link. Yeah, I think so. 
Cut to Ruth going into an interrogation room, sitting down. He's talking to himself. He says, it mustn't happen again. It's always been there, hiding, sucking out my joy, rotting, rotting away my success from the inside. Cameron, I have a way with you. Cameron, but it doesn't have to happen again. Ripe indeed. The right program. The right program is not, not really the same thing, you understand. No, not the same thing. The first time was an accident. Fortunate for some, perhaps unfortunate for others. But the right program is cold and cruel. Very cruel. And at the same time as this is going on, Keller walks into the room behind Ruth, watching him, pulls his gun out. Ruth puts his hands to his head. And Keller pulls the gun out, puts the gun to... Ruth's head and kills him. Yeah. And then and it's we, done in a very like kind of classy way. They don't show it. No, they don't. They don't. And and they show like for a second, like Keller's got like a little confused look on his face. Um, and then of course they cut right to uh, 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 Vale and he, he, he's like, Oh, you know, startled. So, you know, he was connected, I guess. So my, my biggest question was, was, was the, the doctor was Dr. Ruth, like, was he initiating the scan to Vale, or was Vale scanning him? I think Ruth was scanning to Vale and being like, here's all the info. I'm just giving you all the information. You can tell because, like, Keller comes up behind him, and, and you know, Dr. Ruth kind of doesn't even notice that he's there and everything. Yeah. So I think it was kind of like when they their minds were, all their minds were connected, how they didn't see each other get killed earlier in the flop house. I think it's the same scenario. I think that the doctor, I think Dr. Ruth, was, was pushing the information at Vale because I do think he knew, like, this is it. His time. It's it's we're we're at the end here, and I want you to move forward with this information. That was my take. I agree with you. Yeah, I think he's he's putting it out there, and I don't think Vale got all of it. Right, but he got enough though. I think he got enough that he needed. Yes, I agree. No, I totally agree with what you said. Hey, everybody, Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. 
And now, back to the show. From there, you cut to a random hallway corridor where uh, Vale and Kim meet each other. And he's kind of signaling to Kim to be quiet. And they they walk like maybe five feet down the hallway so and then talk to each other. Yeah, like, I know. You're still I in know. the hallway, dude, but whatever. Anyways, they start talking and Vale's like, what happened? And Kim says, you know, Keller tried to kill me. And then Vale says, then he is the one. And then Kim says, what about Ruth? And Vale doesn't say anything. And then at that same moment, two security guards show up with guns on them. Yeah. And this is really cool. This because is, no, this is awesome. This is fucking awesome because Kim is scanning one of them, one on one side, and Vale is scanning the other on the other side. The one that Vale is scanning is like saying to himself, blood on my hands, blood on my hands. And then the one that Kim is scanning, Kim turns into his mother, like basically changes her appearance to look like the man's mother. And he's saying things like, Mom, what are you doing here? And what are you doing here? But he's he like, starts he's breaking down, like completely. Yeah. And I can only imagine, like, the guy who the guy who sees his mom, like, he's he's doing a good job acting. Like, he is totally in distress. Really good. Yeah, it's really fucking good. And, like, I can only imagine that this is what it's like when, like, Professor X or, or Jean Grey, because eh, I'm a nerd. Jean Grey's in the field, right? <laughs> Professor X is at home. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is what happens when Jean Grey comes across, like, you know, a group of goons that she kind of manipulates their minds. And, like, you can tell how fucking like horrible it is for the goons you know what i mean like and and guys and gals at comsec they should have given the guards some kind of psychic training like something as a psychic defense you know yeah they should all know what's up yeah at least warn them but they right. didn't right because these do- these guys these guys brains are now mush yeah and vale and kim have gotten out of the building keller shows up and there's a guard like comforting the one guy who got scanned talking about his mom. And he's like, you know, what happened? What the hell's going on? And, and the guard's like, it's the scanners. They're out. Cut to being outside at a gas station. Vale and Kim roll into this gas station, which is funny. There's a little continuity error here because they roll up, they park their car at the gas station they park their car he fucking flies in there like a fucking stunt driver bro he flies in with like what appears to be like almost like a limo yeah you know, like a sedan or whatever <laughs> and park and like drives right next to the gas station yeah where a gas attendant is gonna fill up the car but you never see the guy you never see them talk to the guy no no yeah so there's a little bit of a weirdness there but yeah. whatever anyways uh the two of them kim and vale go over to a payphone. And Kim says to Vale, is this the only way we can do it? And Vale says, if we don't plug into the computer, they'll reprogram it. And she like nods her head and, and he picks up the phone and he starts like basically tapping into the phone line that taps into the computer at Comsec. And this, uh, I mean, this wouldn't work this today. Awesome. This is literally, I mean, this is awesome. This is so fucking awesome. And by the way, the scene that's coming next, 
weirdly is like my favorite scene in the movie. I don't know why, but I like the tension in it and everything. But this can only work in 1981 because the idea that you can basically call in via a modem to a yeah. computer is just it doesn't exist anymore. And it's literally probably the only piece of this movie that is very 1981 and i think would have to be changed very little would have to be changed to modernize this film other than this scene right here yeah these are moments these are moments though that i love maybe the most in these kind of movies because it's so nostalgic like in the movie um after hours where griffin dunn you know doesn't have any money to make a phone call and you're like, this could, this would never happen in 2022 because everyone's got a cell phone or some availability to use, you know, because he goes from house to house to use their cell, their phone, basically their their landline. But that's where you go. It's a time capsule moment. Yeah. You know, this is so cool because like it cuts to the circuits inside of a telephone I, I do. inside of the computers. And you're like, oh, this is fucking cool because it's like that's what it looked like back then. It's yeah. so nostalgic. Yeah. The, it's the, the best. For me, it's the best. I agree. This is like one of my favorite scenes, too. Yeah, dude, I, I fucking love it because of all the things you just said because it's, it's a fucking time capsule. I love it. Yeah. So you cut from there. <laughs> I also cut... love it because people explode and go through windows. Oh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get to that great. in a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But, but we started out this episode being like, spoiler alert, here's the ending. And everyone's like, <laughs> you ruined it for us. <laughs> no, meanwhile, most people that are listening to this are already fans of Scanners. So yeah, they know what's up. I think so. Um, so from there, you cut to the <laughs> very small computer room uh, of of Consec. And... On the computer screen, you see write program inaccessible. There's a programmer who's talking to Keller. And uh, and Keller's like, what does that mean, the, the inaccessible? And the programmer goes, it means that someone has reprogrammed the computer and we can't get in. Somebody only threw away, somebody not only threw away the key, he plugged the keyhole. And Keller's like, well, try it again. Meanwhile, the guy, the programmer he's talking to has this giant pimple on his face. Dude! Okay, okay, seriously. What is that cancerous growth on that guy's face? And I'm I wanted so, to pop it so bad. I'm sorry, but it's fucking horrible. Well, I'm just like, was that makeup? Because it looked like it was makeup. I think it was like it was like it was a, a giant fucking mole that they make up over. And I was like, no, no, just let it, let it be a mole. Regardless, I'm sorry. I it was just fucking kind of grotesque, man. I'm not gonna lie. I thought it was gonna be a setup for a gag later on. In spoiler alert, it's nothing. It's literally the actor's weird cancerous growth on his face, and I'm sorry. There you go. Well, <laughs> dude, right away, man. I was like, right out of the gate. I was like, first time viewing, and I was high as fuck. I paused the movie, and I was like, I, I was the, I was the Leonardo DiCaprio meme from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I had my beer in my hand. I paused the screen and I pointed and I said, "What the fuck is that on that guy's face?" <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, yo, John Boy on the Waltons rocked that big mole on his face. Just let it fly, baby. Yeah. Let it fly. <laughs> let it fly. Let that freak flag fly. Um, so the programmers are, like, trying to request access to the program. They can't get in. Uh, there's, like, three or four programmers in the room with Keller, and they're trying everything they can to to 
access the computers. One of them has the darkest shades, like sunglasses. I guess, like, <laughs> when you're so... What is it? When your future's so bright, the sun shines on you all the time, but you're in a fucking computer lab, man. Right? And then... <laughs> Keller Keller's like, how is this all happening? You know, how, how can they do this? Uh, and one of the programmers is like, well, somehow he's getting inside this, our no access barrier. Uh, and then as this is happening, you see on the computer monitors, like different images of people's names. Yeah. Uh, doctors, patients, locations, uh, a bunch of different names pop up. One name in particular pops up that's very important because you're going to find out who that is in a minute. Hold on, I got it. You see a name that says Doctor, or it says Frain. Just keep that in mind because yeah. it's going to come back. Yeah, and and I missed that you could see it on the the computer screen, but I I believe you. I, I didn't see it, but I totally believe you because I think at this point it's very clear that. I know that he changed the script while he was going, but it's very clear that this movie's very tight, you know. Yeah. And I didn't quite understand where they got the information from before on the first, like in the next scene when they where they go eventually. Um, but rewatching it, I, I see that it was here. So again, yeah. there, I mean, there's very little plot holes in this movie. Totally, totally. And so Keller's like, you know, he knows it's Vale at this point. He's like, how can we? How can he's inside the computer? How, I want to hurt him. How can we hurt him? And the programmer's like, hurt him? I don't understand. And Keller says, Vale's nervous system and the computer's nervous system are joined together. I want to cripple them both or maybe maybe kill them both. Oh, like Lawnmower Man? Yeah, yeah good one. And, and uh, how, he's like, how is he scanning it? And the programmer says, well, I could override with max security and self-destruct and blow all the circuits. <laughs> and Keller's well, like, I, okay, I liked how do he, it. He, he led that dialogue off with, I don't know if this is what you want because because clearly he doesn't understand what's happening, but I can do what you just said. And uh, yeah, I just I thought that was interesting. like, I don't really know if this is what you're looking for because I don't really get what's happening right now. It's funny because because the when Keller says just do it. The guy's like, well, it would be a total loss of data if we do that. Yeah. But then he's like, but then he goes on this little mini monologue and he's like, well, you know. But sir, I'm afraid I couldn't do it without the written consent, the written authorized consent of Consec leader. Like he goes on this long yeah. thing where, like, are you just doing a tagline from a commercial right now? What's going on? <laughs> um, anyways, at that point, Keller pulls out his gun on everybody and <laughs> says, "This is your fucking written authorized consent right here, baby." Yeah, he says, "Do it now, or I'll kill you." Yeah, and the other two guys are like, "Whoa, this is like, yeah." we're just lab technicians and this is getting heavy. Yeah. Cause, cause the guy starts, the guy's like, okay, I'm doing it now. And he's, t- and he's kind of just casually typing in all the information as Keller's holding the gun on him. And I wrote down, um, dude, you can put your gun down. Like, I think they're going to do this for you. Yeah. Whether you don't have to hold them hostage. Anyways, the, ke- the, the programmer's like, okay, this is the last step. Are you sure he's about to push up? basically like a, a launch button, a self-destruct button. And Keller's like, do it! He yells at him. And he pushes the button. And I love this because he Keller's still got the gun on him, and the guy's like, look, there's no need for that. It's all very quiet. It's just internal switching. Like, you can put the gun away. Yeah. It's, it's just... And you hear, like, the tapes on the computer. And it's such a trip to, like, an old yeah. computer 
monitors with film. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's kind of mind blowing to yeah. think of where we've come. I mean, it is our phones with the fucking technology. Our, you know? our, our phones have more computing power than that computer that they're, that they're going to explode. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see. But yeah, that one guy is like, bro, it's just, we're just, it's just being turned off. But I do like, yeah. I do like what, what Keller says. And he's like, well, no one's ever just switched off a scanner before. So he's not quite sure what's going to happen. And yeah. And I just, just, you telling me that, saying that, made me think that maybe he's nervous that Vale doesn't try to scan into somebody in the room mm. and do control mm. his mind. Good or point. Something. Good point. So yeah. there you go. Yep. So that could work. Maybe that's why. Okay, that tracks. So yeah. So as this is going down, the the numbers are ticking away. Fifteen, fourteen, thirteen, yada yada yada, um, and then the circuits all self destruct. The surfic, they do like an inside shot of the the phone lines, the computer lines of everything kind of crackling and, and fizzing away. Um, Kim and Vale are both, you know, kind of freaking out in the booth. Everything starts to set on fire, and the phone is like starting to to, to buzz and static and burn. Uh, the gas suddenly there's a gas attendant putting gas in the car. <laughs> And he and he drops the gas on the ground, and the gas line starts flowing out next to the car. I'm like, oh, I guess they asked for gas while they were waiting. Yeah, yeah, because no one ever asked for gas, but yeah, he's starting to fill it up. But yeah, the the power line above him, like or the phone line above him, is starting to spark and everything. But he's he, sending the signal through the phone yeah. line, right? And and it was crazy with the, the the black liquid coming out of the the phone that, that was he's cool. talking to. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of shit going on right now. Yeah, this is a scene you could rewatch over and over again because not only like everything's just going haywire and then back at the computer lab in in like basically three, two, one, everything explodes. Everything explodes, shooting the guy with the glasses back through the window behind him, blowing Keller up, like shooting him through the door, killing the guy with the cancerous mole on his face, but not killing the third technician, because after all the explosions and everything is done, I love how you see that third technician just kind of like, like peeking his head up and looking like, what the fuck just happened? Everyone died except for him. And I love the fact that one person was left to tell the tale. I love that. It, it, I feel like it's it's Cronenberg's sense of humor because yeah. the one guy, when he does poke his head up, you it's like that bink bink, you know, like he survived kind yeah. of thing. And and it's not one of like the two main technicians. It was like one that you didn't pay attention to. Total sense of humor on Cronenberg's part. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And and if you're in case you're wondering, yeah, Keller has been decimated. He got thrown into one of the monitors and he's got glass in his yeah, face. He's, he's all, all fucked up. He's all messed up. Yeah, he's right? he's dude, they're all messed up. Just like <laughs> they're in, all messed uh, up. Night of the Living Dead, yep. Um, the car that, 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 that was when the phone line was sparking and flames shot out, the flames hit the car and the gas at the gas station, the gas station explodes, it's wild. um, which means the guy, the gas attendant probably died too, perhaps, Probably. Uh, but Vale and Kim get out of the phone booth and run away. They're safe and still alive. Because from there, you cut to a very nondescript street with a taxi 
a taxi driving down the road. A, a nondescript street that could easily look like it has the uh, the Black Christmas house on it. I was like, oh, totally. this is so suburbia. It's super suburban looking. Um, a taxi drops off Vale and Kim in front of a small house, which happens to be a doctor's office, Dr. Frayne's mm-hmm. house specifically. And if you go back just five minutes prior on the computer screen when Vale was scanning it, Frayne's name did pop up. Yep. Uh, they go into the office, and there's a waiting room. Kim goes into the waiting room while Vale tells Kim he's going to go find the doctor. Uh, Kim sits down in the waiting room across from a pregnant woman. She asks, when is the receptionist coming back? Yeah, she says, is the, is the receptionist coming back soon? And the young woman, and the woman says, uh, I guess so. And then right after that happens, Kim is starting to get scanned and blood's coming out of her nose. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Right. Is she getting scanned from the woman? We'll find out. Cut to Vale running in on a doctor giving an exam to a patient. So I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the doctor's office uh, in the opera, not the operation room, but like the examination room had the same color red walls as the uh, carpets in Consec. And I noticed it because I was like, wow, that's that's a strong red carpet choice for Consec. And then it's the same one here. I almost wonder if that was like a visual cue to show you that this doctor and Consec were kind of connected in some way shape or form i don't know sense i i mean sure why not why not because uh initially the doctor's like what the hell are you doing here get out and Vale's like you know i want to talk to you about this and he holds up a vial of ephemeral and suddenly the doctor's like oh um he looks at his patient he goes excuse me I'll, i'll be right back um just relax and uh read a magazine to the patient (laughs) And the, the the patient like looks around like where's the magazines? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's it's funny. David Cronenberg has good humor in this movie. Oh yeah, totally. From there, you cut to Vale looking for Kim. Kim's by the kind of back door of the uh, the house, and uh, he he's like, "Are you okay?" And and she like looks totally dazed out, and he says he starts explaining to her uh, that you know. Ripe is the doctors on the list that I found in the computer program are giving ephemeral to pregnant women, pregnant patients. Ephemeral is creating new scanners. That's when Kim reveals that she was scanned by in the waiting room. And and he's like, by who? And she's like, the unborn, the, the child scanned me. Wow, that's fucking that's some heavy shit, man. The fucking, the kid, the unborn kid is scanning. And I can see where you can take sequels now, you know what I mean? But like, yeah. Yep, and that's when, that's when Vale says, you know, Ephemeral is creating new scanners. And at that moment, out of nowhere, through the window, uh, Kim gets shot with a tranquilizer dart. Yeah, she's fucking sniped. She gets fucking sniped through the window. Yeah, she does. And... Uh, I love this because Vale pulls it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he does. Duh. But maybe he was so out of it earlier that in the beginning of the movie, that's why he didn't do it. But he brings her outside. He tries to keep her awake and she, pa- she passes out on the ground. 
outside of the house of uh, the doctor's office. And standing right by them, by a tree, is Revik. Revik! 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 And uh, Vale looks up at Revik, and Revik shoots Vale. Yeah. Done. Yeah. Cut to Vale waking up on a couch in a very nice office. And uh, behind him in the back is Revik sitting at a table, like pouring a drink. And I love this because because Revik's like, oh, Sleeping Beauty awakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Vale's like, where's Kim? And Revik says, she's next door. Don't worry. She'll wake up in a few hours. We don't want anyone else here, Cameron. It's just between you and me. And Vale says, oh, I thought maybe your partner Keller would be here with you. And Revik says, it seems he died when you blew up his computer. By the way, that was very impressive. And I love this because Revik, like we're finally getting Revik. If you really think about it, Michael Ironside doesn't say a lot until the fine the third act. Yeah, no, you're right. He he he's he's in the movie, he's doing things, but he doesn't actually talk a lot. You're right. You're... Yeah. And Dale says, Well, Keller murdered Dr. Ruth. He deserved to die. And Revik says, You shouldn't mourn the good doctor's death. You should celebrate his death with me. And Dale says, Ruth was a great man. He wanted to help us. He helped me. And Revik says, there's only one person on Earth who has really tried to help you, Cameron, and that's me. And Vale's like, you? You sent your soldiers to kill me. And Revik says, no, I've been trying to find you for years. And when Keller told me you'd been dredged up by Ruth and sent out as some ridiculous kind of amateur spy, I tried to look after you, take care of you, guide you. And then this is when Vale says, well, why would you do that? And then Revik says, tell me. Who's your mother? And Vale says, I don't know. And Revik says, well, who's your father? I love this. I love this exchange. Revik says, well, who's your father? And Vale says, I don't know. What's your first childhood memory? Uh, I don't have any. And at that point now, I'm like, oh, so he's trying to get his password for his email address? (laughs) And Revik says, no, you don't have any memories. And it's not an accident that you don't. You've been kept on ice. It was only when Consect had trouble putting me away that you were thawed out. I think that's a metaphor, right? Yeah. It's a metaphor I, that he was. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so, too. I think he was, by put on ice, I think he was just left out into the world, essentially, and not, not taken care of. Yeah, because he follows up by saying, you were monitored every day of your life, but you were allowed to live like garbage, scum. He knew where you were, but he never reached out to haul you out of the slime. Neon slime. The neon slime. And Vale goes, who? He goes, your father, Dr. Paul Ruth. You're my brother, Cam. My kid brother. Dun, dun, dun. And, and, this, is, and this is another reason why I think this movie would, would hold up in a contemporary fashion. Because these are things that like we're so accustomed to now. Like the villain and the hero being related in some way, shape, or form. And I know it came before this. Like, I get it. But I feel like it's more of a trope now than it was then. Yeah, it is. Uh, this came out before... Return of the Jedi. It did. You're right. 100%. It came out before Return of the Jedi. So, yeah, the whole, the whole, yeah, Luke and, and Leia being brother and sister and, and everything. Empire Strikes Back, too, right? Uh, no, it came out at the same time. So, but it was probably written then 
like meaning like David Cronenberg wrote it in a void without Empire Strikes Back there. Or maybe Lucas heard about it and just did it anyways. Okay, settle down, buddy. We're <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. So so yeah, so you know, of course Vale's like, no, no, no. Basically just, you know, got caught jerking off by his parents and he's freaking out. And Revic uh, opens up, uh, pulls out a magazine. It's an old Life magazine. Yeah, this is interesting, by the way, because I wrote it down. Uh, the magazine says June twenty second, nineteen forty six. Well, it's cool. That's cool because um, uh, earlier on, Ruth talks about starting that that company in nineteen forty four. So that tracks. It does. So so Ravik pulls out the magazine, the Life magazine, and starts fi- flipping through it and shows him this ad for ephemeral. June 22nd, 1946. And Revick says, this was a test campaign used in 1947. I'm like, oh, mm, okay. Well, maybe they got their years wrong. Anyways, it was a test campaign used in 1947 to market a new product. The product was a drug, well, a tranquilizer. Well, I hold on. I just did the math. Um, 47 to 81 is 34 years. So that's not that that tracks. I'd okay. say they're they're 34. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it works. Yeah, because I think uh, Vale's supposed to be 30. Or no, uh, uh, Revic is 35. Yeah. So, yeah. So that like. You know, like by, yeah, a couple years. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, Yeah, that works. Yeah. Uh, He says the product was a drug, a tranquilizer called ephemeral. It was aimed at pregnant women. If it had worked, the drug would have been marketed all over North America. The campaign didn't work. And the drug ephemeral didn't work either. It had a side effect on unborn children, a side effect that nobody knew about because it was invisible. And Vale goes, it created scanners. Revick says, yes. The man who invented ephemeral wasn't too disappointed by the failure of his tranquilizer. He was much more excited about the weird mutation caused by his drug, and so was Consec. They offered to finance his experiments, and he, and so he sold them, his company, and himself. That was Dr. Ruth. That was Daddy. Hmm. Now, I've said the side effect of ephemeral was invisible, but that was not completely true. Daddy saw it. He saw it in us. He had given the prototype of ephemeral to his pregnant wife four years before it went on the market, and then one year later. His children turned out to be difficult, quote-unquote, until he discovered that the only thing that could calm them down was the tranquilizer ephemeral. And then Vale says, That's why we're older than the others. I love that, by the way. I love, I love that too. I, I like that a lot. Um, so, do you think that he, like, again, was this another metaphor thing that he could see it in other people, or do you think Doctor Ruth, like, it was almost like his mutant ability, he could see scanners? Like, I know you're a scanner. You know what I mean? Like, I I know that it was probably more of like a metaphor, but I like the idea that that he could actually see other scanners. Yeah, I think it was more of a metaphor too, but I, I, I like your concept more. It's especially if he's in that earlier scene where he was giving um, um, uh, Vale the information, maybe Ruth had psychic powers as well, you know? It's yeah, possible. he's more like tapped in, more tapped yeah. in, I think. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Uh, and. You know, Revik says, you know, we're not just older, we're more powerful. 
he's like, only you and I could scan a computer, right? The, the others are nothing compared to us. And then Vale says, well, what did you need Keller for? And Revick says, well, that was different. Contact had a lot of hardware, a lot of contacts. And Keller, he could see where the future was. And Vale says, you murdered the future. And Revick says, no, that's, that's so negative, so defeatist. You sound, like, you sound like they did. That's a whole generation of scanner soldiers just a few months away from being born. You and I will find them. We'll train them. And as he's talking, as Revik is like talking to Vale and trying to pump him up, Vale sees like a like a ceramic uh, sculpture on on Revik's desk, and he picks it up, and he goes, "You know, we can train them to be like us, not like Oberist and her band of cripples. We'll bring the world of normals to their knees. Together, we'll rule an empire of such glory and brilliance that the entire world will." envious i'm like oh that's totally the x-men yeah yeah dude this is totally fucking magneto and xavier seriously it's totally Magneto. yeah (laughs) so vale says you sound just like him like ruth and revik no yeah uh, i want to do it not like him like daryl revik (laughs) he's so intense bro it's so fucking awesome man watching fucking michael ironside like unleash is amazing I love it. I love it. He's just like enraged at this point. But Vale knows that and he's testing him. And he goes, no, you are like him. It's as though he's been reincarnated in you. And Revik's like, Revik, you can tell, is getting more incensed. And he goes, you're not listening to me. You're not being very cooperative. I've been counting on you all these years. Are you going to betray me like everyone else? Tell me you're not. Tell me. And at that moment, that's when Vale hits Revik in the head with this like ceramic little statue thing in the head. Cracks him in the skull. Revik hits the ground, bleeding out of the side of his head. And Revik's like, all right, we'll do it the other way. The scanner way. The scanner way. Yeah. I'm going to suck your brain dry. Everything you are will become me. We'll be together no matter what. After all, brothers should be close, don't you think? Dude. And at that moment, this is the epic battle scene sequence that makes the head explosion pale in comparison, yeah. really, if you think about it, because they're having a psychic fight back and forth. And, uh, and they- only a master craftsman could show a psychic fight. Guys and gals, this has to be so hard to like, like easy to write on paper, so hard to figure out how to show. And it's amazing. And apparently this is the, the ending we see is a reshoot ending. The original ending, oh. they didn't, Cronenberg uh, uh, did not like the, the pyrotechnic ending. It's funny because the imagery that you see from this finale is the original imagery that they don't really use where like um, uh, um, lack, uh, you know, veil is bursting into flames and everything uh, with Revic sort of standing next to him and everything like that's not what you actually see here because this is a reshot ending. Interesting. Well, it's a damn good reshot yeah. ending because initially Revic blast mind blast veil 
to the point where Vale's arm, the veins in his arms are popping out and they're bulging so, and exploding. So that effect was the first time you've ever seen this like bladder effect on screen. And it was developed for the movie uh, Altered States. Um, oh, yeah. And, and uh, I don't know why, but at the moment uh, uh, during the reshoot, the Altered States shoot was shut down and they used the, the effects person on Altered States to do this. And this is the first time on camera that we've seen this bladder effect where you pump like liquid or air into these bladder things and create them and we move forward and it's it's very well used in movies like uh, uh, American Werewolf in London like these transformation scenes and everything but this is the first time the effect is done on screen it's if first time is maybe one of the best times yeah it's it's really hard to watch on one hand because it's so grotesque because the veins are popping out if anybody especially my wife if anybody has like an aversion to veins it's really hard to watch uh because the veins pump up and then they start popping out but then revic hits right back sorry veil veil hits right back with uh you know hitting revic in the head with with his causing Revic's face to start veins bulging out and popping, but then Revic hits back at Vale and pops his heart open, yeah. makes his heart makes his heart explode. Yeah, and his and face then, kind of explode. Then his yes, and then his then his the veins on his head start popping out, and then Vale starts picking at his face and carving out pieces of flesh out of his face where the veins were exploding. And then you think that Vale's done. Yeah. But then Vale comes back with flames in his hands, like his hands are on fire, and he's going to start torching Vale or Revic, possibly. And it's then fucking wild, guys. It's fucking Revic's wild. Eyes, Revic's eyes go white. And at that moment, when Revic's eyes go white, Vale's eyes explode. Explode! Our butt. hero! Our hero! <laughs> our main character! Our, and I'm our like, film hero! His eyeballs explode! And I think, how the fuck is he going to come back from this, right? <laughs> he's not. He's got to be dead, right? Right? So his eyes explode. He's now catching his whole body starts catching on fire. And Revic is having a full orgasmic meltdown. Yeah, and he's doing the full, like, Michael Ironside mouth thing. Yes. It's wild, guys. Yeah, even the first time I'm watching it and I said that I was waiting the whole movie for, for something to match the head explosion... I was I was I was fully enthralled in this like last like seven minute climax here, man. It was holy shit. I didn't know where it was going. I didn't expect to see our fucking our lead protagonists eyeballs explode, but they do. And I don't know what's going on. It is. It's really hard to watch and it goes on for a really long time. It's grotesque. It's grotesque, and normally I would be like, it's too excessive. But it makes sense, I think, in the sense that these are probably the two best scanners around, yeah. and they're going to have this epic battle. Yeah. If they had lightsabers and were running around a spaceship, we would have not a hard time with this. Yeah. But this is Cronenberg. He's very like visceral in your face, and it's just his style. If you're not a fan of this stuff... Well, you are because you're listening to our show, so of course you are. But if you're not, 
maybe it's not for you, but otherwise it is because it's it it just it makes sense in context. Cronenberg is one of those guys that really can justify the excessiveness, like a sex scene where you're like, did they really need that? Well, he would be a he's the guy who could make the cause like make the statement why you should have the scene in the movie. Yep. So it works. Um, It's brutal. And the sin, the scene just goes black. And then you cut to Kim, who's literally in the room next to them, (laughs) waking up uh, kind of in a daze. She goes to the door, the adjoined door, and opens up the door. And when she does, she finds to her shock a charred body on the ground. Well, a really good charred body, like effects-wise. Yeah, it looks pretty I mean, it, I'm not going to lie to you. It, body, but. It's probably one of the best I've ever fucking seen in a movie. Yeah, especially for 81. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, she starts to scan it and she starts getting really sad because I think she's at this point, she's realizing it's Vale. And then you hear Vale's voice say, I'm here, Kim. I, I, I'm, I'm right here. The, 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 the camera cuts to uh, in the corner. Vale's kind of winter trench coat uh, covering up somebody and the trench coat gets pulled down to reveal Revic, but his eyes are Vale's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, I'm here, Kim. We've won. We've won. And, and it's Lark's In voice, Vale's voice too. Yeah. It's, it's his voice too, you know? So yes, so that's his fucking. He took over. He jumped into Michael Ironside or Revic's body. The caterpillar became the butterfly, and you know he he took over the the stronger body, I guess, yeah. essentially. And the music uh, kicks in, and the computer credits roll, yeah. and that is the end of Scanners. Yeah, the computer credits. Yeah, those are wild credits, by the way. They're pretty uh, cool. I'm like, yeah. that's cool. It's it's very They're different. It's a little forward thinking because yeah. we didn't do that shit back then. Yeah, uh, and, and that is Scanners. Dude, that's Scanners. Dude, what a what a what an amazing movie. And yeah, like I said, going in the first viewing, I was a little underwhelmed because I didn't think anything really compared to the head explosion, but there is just, like I said, there's so much meat on the bones to to this film. There's so much being talked about. There's so much like concepts being thrown at you. So many concepts that are just so strongly sci-fi and everything. It's just, it's wow. There's just so much to latch onto and, and, and chew on here. It's, it's great. And yeah, man, David Cronenberg just, a master craftsman, dude. Like, I guess at this point, by the time this movie comes out, he he is David Cronenberg. Like, it's just, that's what he is. And wow, dude, I am so happy that I have this under my belt. Thank you, Zach, uh, personally. Thank you uh, for getting me the uh, the Criterion Collection version. It's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and thank you for doing this, buddy. You did a great job breaking it down. Oh, thank you. I loved examining this film. Of all the movies we've discussed, I feel like there this was probably the most nuanced and layered and the most necessary for me to discuss with you to sort of get the whole picture and kind of have a clarity to it. But now having discussed it for almost four hours, man, there's just like, 
no holes in the plots, you know, like, like no. this is such a tight movie and such a fun movie and such an influential movie. I can see where its influences like are in modern cinema and wow, wowie, wow, wowerson scanners, man. Thank you, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, you know, if, if anything, you probably could have shaved off a couple minutes from the movie to make it a tighter because i think it's like an hour 40 hour and 47 yeah you could we could have shaved off like five seven minutes or something yeah you know? maybe even more like make it make it a tight 90 minute long movie yeah uh but but yeah it's great it, it is it's an it's a cool this is maybe the last movie he made before he started getting main going mainstream because like you said you know soon after this he did the, the dead zone and Dead Ringers and uh, Dead Ringers and the Fly down the road. Dead Ringers maybe was more artsy, uh, but you know, like like big budgeted films like Dead Zone and, yeah. and the Fly, uh, taking him into the mid '80s. But this was a great for me. This this is my favorite Cronenberg film. Cronenberg specific, where he's not going off of someone else's script, yeah, or he's not going off of someone else's input. He's doing his own thing. Uh, it's brilliant it's an action movie it's a thriller it's it's horror a horror it's yeah. it's sci-fi um i love the telekinesis stories I, I wish we could see more of that i get that it's really intense it's very much an r type thing yeah. x-men is like an r marvel comic if you really think about it yeah because when i i remember show like trying to explain to Bodie about everything just the idea that wolverine is like getting his adamantium poured into his body that's so grotesque that is so cronenberg that they, right? that is cronenberg right yeah that's very cronenberg and you think about that that's a that's a horrifying thing for kids to think about yeah a kid gets bit by a spider gets turned into spider-man cool you know a uh, guy goes up and learns the mystic arts and becomes dr strange cool guy has radiation gets turned into the hulk cool but a guy who fucking gets metal poured into his flesh yeah and his bones yeah. are blades i mean oh that is cronenberg up the fucking wazoo yeah dude uh think about that movie existence like the 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 the, the, the input with the weird gross thing like that cronenberg loves all his gooey shit so yeah. anyways that's a whole other story save that for wrap up after dark on our <laughs> patreon and you know we're going to get into this on patreon so check us out on patreon if you haven't even considered it please do so because it would be great it's got we got fun stuff there and, and then that's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark yes and my last button on scanners is uh it was a pleasure breaking it down and taking extensive notes all these movies are always fun to do for both of us and every single movie that we choose, but I'm speaking personally, specifically to myself, uh, are very, you know, personal to us. So these come from a, 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 a I, I'm only going to 99% of the time, the movies I bring to pad are movies that I just love that I want to revisit and talk about. Occasionally we will bring up something that's new or fresh or, well, we've never watched this one before. Let's give it a try. Corey's more of the, the experimental guy in that way, which I love because if he wasn't, this would be just two dudes stroking each other vigorously, right. <laughs> which is a really funny, interesting visual. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I mean, Scanners was fun to break down and 
if you think this is the only kind of bizarre, grotesque movie I'm, I've got in my uh, my pocket, well, we're just getting started because we're recording this in January of 2022. This is my New Year's pick. Yeah, yeah. There's it is. a whole lot of fun coming on. And if you think we're done with wings, no, we're not done with oh, wings. Oh, no, I got some more wing shit. In the, I know I have more some wings. wing stuff right here, baby. We, more bizarre shit. Podcasting After way. Dark is an ongoing love affair with Wings Hauser. It's not a. It's not like a mini series. We are an ongoing love affair. And I know that I have more Wings Hauser waiting for me. We got some bizarre wings. But <laughs> there's a lot more bizarre, creepy odd shit coming your way Gods. from both of us Odds. so stay tuned stay tuned guys stay and tuned, gals I, hands. I love it i love it dude thank you so much for for doing this and i also love two dollar late fee Ooh, what nice, do you, nice segue what do you and our pal dustin have going on have going on that's that's bad but oh well we're four hours in we'll go with it <laughs> what do you guys have going on in uh january Oh, January. We are starting off the new year in a big way, a mega way. Oh, buddy. I'm so happy for you for this one, man. Dude. Seriously, I, I've said it before, but when I found out who you're interviewing, I I couldn't be happier for you because I know what he means to you. So who are you interviewing? We have, a, we have an interview dropping at the end of this month from none other then Ace Hunter himself, Barry Bostwick, from 1982's Megaforce. Barry motherfucking Bostwick, man. That's fucking awesome. Also, Rocky Horror Picture Show, too. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I trust me, there are some... There are some things in this interview that we will reveal and things that happen offline with Barry that were so amazing, so mind-blowing, so scanner-blowing. Um, you're just going to have to tune in and listen. It's great. It was a great interview. Uh, we have a pre-episode coming. By the time you listen to this episode, we've got maybe one more week before that airs. It's it, But we'll be doing a uh, discussion, fun discussion of Megaforce and the soundtrack, bada, 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 1982, bada, bada, bada. Um, and then really quickly, because we just interviewed this guy not that long ago as well, there's an actor named Luca Bercovici, uh, who you may not know that name, but he directed a movie called Ghoulies. He directed a movie called Rockula. Uh, he starred in a movie called American Flyers as kind of the villain, quote unquote. This interview is going to blow your fucking mind. It's the dude is a is so cool, and he's a he's a huge genre fan, uh, and 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 a really 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 great discussion about movies all the movies he's done we talked about drop zone with wesley snipes k2 which is a personal favorite from the 90s that i love i love k2 (laughs) uh all that good stuff so anyways got a lot going on uh two dollar late fee is blowing up Uh, you know the the beautiful thing about two dollar late fee and pad is they're so different in so many ways yeah yet they they're they're part of the same family yeah uh, they're not a part of the BFOP family. <laughs> However, in, in in a way, they kind of are in a yeah, weird roundabout you're, way. You're, so, you're like a like a cousin. Like a two dollar late fee is like a like a cousin or a second cousin or something. But yeah, yeah, dude. But you know what? What is a is a, is not a cousin. It's more of a sister. Is uh, Cartwright, <laughs> a Seinfeld podcast that Corey does. That's right. So. Just uh, yesterday, Adam and I uh, recorded our first three episodes of season eight. 
So Holy my shit. God, man, we we recorded the Bizarro Jerry, um, which I fucking love that episode. And by the way, spoiler alert, it's going to be like weeks away, but I'm going to tell you now, I gave it five out of five. And I fucking, wow. that episode's fucking great. We reviewed Man Hands. Oh my God, it's oh, fucking Oh, it's awesome. one of my favorite episodes. I know, dude. So check out Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. Adam and I have reviewed every single episode of Cartwright from episode one all the way now into episode episode eight and so we probably have a few more months and we'll be we'll be done but we're also doing curb your enthusiasm as well so two of my favorite things in the entire world are 80s cult movies and seinfeld so it's all covered and all getting some love and uh yeah give our give our pals over a talking back action action blast from our past throwback trivia takedown all those uh shows some love but also give some of uh you know like i said the the shows that are our second cousins like like uh two dollar lay fee and give me back my action movies and red ready to retro all these ready guys to retro, yeah. yep we have so many fun friends uh uh you know th- podcasters and everything so check them out man they're, they're good shit and uh you know follow us on instagram and all that shit yada 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 but uh yeah look for our new show to be dropping on patreon this month uh the the carpenter factor i think that's the name <laughs> we haven't recorded the first episode yet but it's coming and we're super oh, excited coming. yeah we're gonna be we're, we're talking about dark stars so yeah check us out on on patreon.com slash podcasting after dark for all kinds of good shit and i was also gonna say really quick uh that if you listen to us on spotify and they have that rating system. Uh, it's brand new. You know, it does go a long way. So if you can give us five stars, that, 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 that would be great. Um, you know, that's the new, that's the new deal with Spotify. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I listen to Spotify. Uh, I do too. That's, that's my main podcast source is Spotify. And it gets us more coverage. It gets us more attention. Yeah. It just gets us bigger and better. And you know that the bigger and better we get, uh, it's only going to provide you guys with more audio pleasure. Exactly. So rate Podcasting After Dark, Cartwright Seinfeld Podcast, and $2 Late Fee. Rate them all five stars on Spotify. We really Please. appreciate Thanks. it. Thank you all so, so much. And as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. 
So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. <laughs>